Hey, Gravity Lift fam, we have a big favor to ask of you. Please head over to iTunes, look up the Gravity Lift podcast, subscribe, rate, and review. Five stars would be awesome if you are a fan of the podcast. And if you are looking for other ways to support, we have a Patreon page, which is a simple way for you to contribute to the creation of all things Gravity Lift. In exchange, you'll receive some fun perks as well as our humble gratitude. And it's really just a way for us to continue creating new and informative content. If you'd like to learn more, head to patreon.com slash gravity underscore lift. Uh, is this thing on? Can you hear me? Welcome to the Gravity Lift Podcast, a mostly entertaining and at times informative place where we get to chat about all the things we love. Music and festival life, yoga and wellness, travel and adventure. We are your hosts, Jordan and Antonella. When you think of CBD, what comes to your mind? A, B, C, B, D. (laughs) (laughs) You have. Oh, fair enough. That's the first thing that came to my mind. I think of cannabinoids, personally. No, it's just uh, CBD has become quite the popular thing in today's world now that weed is legalized and people realize that there are no psychoactive effects to CBD. Yeah, I remember the first time I was at the, um, the Hagen. The Hagans. And I was in the beauty aisle and I saw a lotion that said with CBD. I was like, wait, what? Yeah. Like, what? Don't you have to go to a weed store to buy that? <laughs> I'm so confused. Isn't CBD like this crazy drug that's like <laughs> illegal? It's a substance. Sub- people are going to smoke their yeah. body lotion It's and a get level high. one substance where you can go to prison for most of your life for having it. So crazy. No. But. CBD is now, yeah, this fully legal thing where if there's essentially like less than 0.1, or something percent of THC, then mm-hmm. it is CBD that can be sold in stores. For lots of great reasons. Yeah. Medicinal purposes, mm-hmm. physical and multiple realms. Enjoyed talking with Skylar from Olio about the nice entry level that CBD provides and that their products specifically provide to people who are maybe still in that older mindset of, oh my gosh, is this going to get me high? And I'm not interested in the heady thing and I want the medicinal aspect. So it's nice to have that option for people. Yeah. Also the sports recovery. There's Mm -hmm. a lot of information on it being a great sports recovery drink. And so, yeah, they've got a, what, a coconut Mm -hmm. drink. Like it's basically like a powder that has like some coconut water that has been dried out into a powder and added with their proprietary mix of CBD. Then they also have teas and whatnot with it. So I love it. I love the products that they put out. It was really fun when they reached out to us, gosh, um, over a year ago now. Yeah. I would say that uh, they're a local company and they had us come down and check out the facility and get to know them a little bit. And now watching Skylar move up through the ranks and have more of responsibility and what's going on with the company as they're expanding. It was great to just get an idea of how what his journey has been with it all. Yeah, and where the company's going and mm-hmm. what the future of the marijuana industry holds. Yeah, that was a great discussion. All right, well, for more on CBD, here's Skylar. Nope. So kind of decided to come up with something last season, which was a safe word. Uh, and mm. so that safe word can be as kinky or weird as you imagine it to be, or it can be 
there's something that I can't talk about at my job either, you know, it's or just in unofficial life. quite yet yeah. or Personal well, thing. so that's where it's something in fish, <laughs> official in life. Like I can't talk about this new thing we're doing with our company because it's not out yet. Or then there's, you know, private life. Hey, how old are you? When are you going to have kids? And like, you know, super deep questions. People are like, whoa, whoa, whoa. I'm not sure I really want to delve into that. Uh, so do you have a word that comes to mind that is kind of your, mm. your safe word? I want to do penguin. Oh, penguin. a non-food. Nice. Most people go with the food. Okay. I love that. An you, animal too. <laughs> that you referred to his age and whether or not he wants to have kids is a super deep question. We <laughs> well, will be going deeper than that. I feel FYI. like it's good. I feel like sometimes <laughs> if you ask a woman what their age is, then they're a little bit off. And as a guy, when you ask them if they're gonna, when they're going to have kids, they're like, oh, what? Mm. So, That's a good point. Yeah. Depending so on kinda, the person, those could be sensitive. Yeah. I suppose. Without being obvious, I super deep topics. I just going a little deeper than those. For sure. Cool. But that's why I give him a safe word. Penguin. So he, so he can... Penguin. <laughs> Jordan. Penguin. Penguin. All right. Well, Skylar. Welcome. Welcome to the Gravity Lift Podcast. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. So you are the CEO of Olio. That's correct. Yeah. Fuck yes. I just want to say thank you to social media, which I hate social media, hmm. but we met through social media. That is very true. It's fantastic. Yeah. It's kind of the small world coming to coming to fruition, though. I mean, I have to say I had seen you know your work as as a DJ prior to that. Nice. So that was what was kind of cool about you guys reaching out. Yeah, when we, we originally like, met. We met up, and you're like, "Oh yeah, I know Brian Becker," and I was like, "What? Okay." <laughs> yeah. yeah, so we actually had Brian on the Gravity podcast too. Yeah. So. Excellent. Um, you should check out that podcast. It's a great haven't. episode, actually. Yeah. He had a lot of aha moments. Yeah. Yeah. He's a deep thinker. Yeah. I, I, uh, I think I told you guys I used to live with him. Yeah. So former roommate, you know, and had a chance to have a number of good conversations with Brian. And I feel like he's a, a very intellectual guy and he loves to go on these sort of wild uh, dream tangents where he mm-hmm. just talks about sort of really sort of deep things. Definitely. It's yeah. fun watching his brain work when you see things click. He gets like this well, and sparkle. I like to not antagonize, but I like to <laughs> yeah. kind of push the envelope a little bit with people like that. And so you could see him kind of put some things together in this space, and then later he was messaging me for days later, like, "Oh my god, I'm so pumped about what we talked about, and I'm gonna do it." And yeah, so he's a. I like that he used this space to manifest. Absolutely. Yeah, I think that's a great cool. the great result is if you can promote thoughts that make people motivated to change mm-hmm. their lives or add to their lives potentially. Well, sometimes it sort of, sort of feels like a bit of a therapy session. Like we're mm. not therap- we're not your therapist, but sometimes just hearing yourself in your little headphones um, say things out loud that maybe you haven't expressed to the universe yet and then you go oh yeah and and you just kind of see your verbal vomit rearrange it a little and suddenly it makes sense there it is (laughs) definitely i was thinking about the initial meeting that we had we had at our office the other day because we've started to reach out to more and more ambassadors you know i think for a period of time this last year we kind of looked within and decided what it was that truly defined Olio as a brand and who that most resonated with. And coincidentally, it actually is more aligned with, I think, you know, the stuff that you guys are doing than some of the other stuff we had been working on. But Mm -hmm. I found that interesting because you were one of the first people that we actually met with. Sweet. And it was sort of a whim thing to invite you down to the office. And I remember some of the other folks asking who those folks were. (laughs) Like, who are those people in that rave gear? 
I had like a crazy a fur, shirt. The uh, fur hood on. Gotcha. And, and for me, that's totally normal. Yeah. It's like those are awesome people, guaranteed, yes. you know. But some of the other people wondered what the context of that meeting was. And it was like after we had gotten our office, we're like, oh, we're big now. We have an office. Yeah. So how long have you been in that office? Almost two years. Okay. Nice. So coming up on two years. And this, that was like a year, year ago that we were doing yeah, it. Yeah, about that. Right. Nice. And yeah, you guys recently did the Seattle Marathon, right? That is true. You were a sponsor for it. Yeah, we were a sponsor in the in the food, you know, recovery area where they give away water and and snacks and that Mm -hmm. kind of thing, which I think was very well suited for it. Mm -hmm. Because ideally, people are taking products after they after they do their workout. Well, we definitely have some events coming up. We should backpedal a tiny bit and let people know that essentially what Oleo is. So, do you want to give kind of a breakdown of what your company is and what you offer? Sure. That I think is a good a good step <laughs> before we assume too much. I would it's not say, Oreos. It's Oleo. <laughs> Oleo indeed. So Oleo C B D. Um, you know, we make lines of products that are designed to help people enjoy their lives and reach their fullest physical potential. So that comes into the context of post workout recovery and recovery of body and mind. We kind of see it as both the healing of your body with the C B D as well as the relaxation and the anti-anxiety effects that one might be seeking from that that same molecule. How did you find your way into Oleo? I think it was really truly through true friends, you know. So at the time that I was really wrapping up another startup project, actually, uh, I was working with a, another friend of mine and we were making a mobile app and had really given that a, a good effort, I think, but completely ran out of money doing it. And <laughs> there was not much money to begin with. So it was well and good um, at conclusion, I think. And at that point, I had I'd known uh, Russell and Derek, who were the, the folks that had started the company and thought, you know, potentially what the, the concept was at the time, which was just the technology for making oils out of uh, oils into water soluble powders, you know, that that certainly was an exciting idea and that I would probably be able to help them out with a few things in the interim and, and really just offered to, to help for free uh, before we even started officially working together. Nice. So your aspect or your side of things is very much more the business aspect where you were like, "Uh, this seems like something cool. I'm down. It's with some people I know. This sounds like a really cool opportunity because I know a lot of people really delve into the CBD or I guess will things say all things marijuana related really delve in because they have this like drive and passion towards, you know, the plant itself. Um, And so yours is very much more a, a business side. I think for me, it was the perfect combination of wanting at that time in my life to be pursuing entrepreneurship, certainly. And that was, you know, the 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 thing that I had been doing with the app and, uh, you know, the previous job I had before that, also at a startup, though a much larger one. And it was kind of a progression of seeing, I want to have the ability to help make strategy. Mm-hmm. And I'd been doing that at companies that uh, were much larger when I worked at Amazon, when I worked at Boeing, but not even on a, a level that was having any effect, right? Certainly entry-level job type thing. And it's fair enough for someone in their early 20s, but it definitely quickly became less exciting for me. And I found I was having a hard time being motivated by that time of work. 
So a logical progression for me was I certainly want to work hard, but I also want to be compensated fairly for that work and have that exciting upside of starting this big project. Mm -hmm. And I want to have the excitement of really seeing the effort I put in develop cool things. And that was not possible in my mind working at a company with certainly more than 50 people and realistically not more than five people um, from my true experience. So that I think was kind of this combination of timing for me, having the ability to start new projects, seeing that, that I wanted to be finding myself in a super small company and then also just a really exciting business opportunity in terms of the technology and the potential that I saw there. Yeah, so that technology um, is is Olio kind of centered around a a specific like patented technology, mm. and is that something that Olio owns, or is it just kind of um, a process? Because I know like in the we'll say more the the marijuana world, less of you know specifically the the CBD. We'll say the the THC world is people are really into oils, and so oils kind of have changed processes in how they're distilled and how they're set up for people to, I guess we'll say, ingest that uh, substance. And so your process is taking an oil and breaking it down into, like you said, water soluble, like a powder. Definitely. So I would, I mean, definitely it's a proprietary process. And for us, there's many, many trials that we've put into developing trade secrets that make it the most effective version of that process but we're also applying for a patent and that's been the case since the company was essentially founded and you know we'll see if that happens if that happens that would be nice but i also think that in hindsight and this is going a bit deep into the question of you know business strategy i think in hindsight it seems clear that there's a good case for just keeping your secrets secret mm -hmm. and then not even worrying about trying to have the government prove to you that that's unique or, or protected because if you do find yourself filing for that patent and then someone is able to read your patent application they could very easily reverse engineer it so I think lessons learned in many ways there, but mm -hmm. with any luck, we will we will have a patent one day. Nice. So Olio currently has um, the powder, like you said, and that would be your essentially your one product. And then outside of that, you've added it to a coconut water and a tea, and then you have just like a straight water-soluble powder. Um, is that correct? That's a great summary. I feel like definitely the basic ingredient is that oleo CBD and that's kind of what would be the active component in any of those other products and certainly something that you know for certain folks we sell as a wholesale product you know if they want to make their product powered by oleo you know we have people that are making a cold brew or a topical gel or a superfood green drink and those are people that are using that same CBD. Perfect oh. so then you're able to kind of source out this base ingredient that you have and then other people create more content with it that's it exactly nice. collaborate with them on that and i i feel like for us if you put it at sort of a percentage probably 90 plus percent of our effort is on those products that we make you know we're focused on making them the most delicious the most potent the most conveniently packaged but over time i see more potential potentially to to shift to working with other people and I think that's because there will be many other larger businesses, frankly, that want to make CBD products. And we may be a good source of ingredients for them to do that. Yeah. Oh. And so CBD, sorry, did you have something? Go for it. Okay. 
Uh, so most, so is the CBD kind of your end goal? Like, like Oleo is CBD. This is the product we're into. This is our main thing. And, and I know you'd mentioned, you know, there's still research and development to other things and different products and how to do it. Um, I guess my question kind of centers around the THC aspect because we do live in Washington state. You now have this legalization option. Um, tons of different things are happening with hemp, um, being able to extract CBD in different ways to play with different cannabinoids. And so one of my questions is, have you ever, has the company thought about delving into, we'll call it CBX, you know, whatever different cannabinoids other than CBD? That's a good question. I, I think it's important to point out that although we're pretty aligned and excited about our current mission, which is that CBD focused sort of health and wellness and personal empowerment angle, the company started as much more of a THC business. Hmm. It definitely started in a context of researching and understanding how to make edibles for a recreational market. And that's particularly relevant because you might want an edible that's faster acting and more potent. And that could be even more beneficial with THC than CBD. So I think in the early days when I joined, I spent a lot of time myself talking to manufacturers and license holders in places like Washington and Colorado. And we spent a significant amount of effort understanding what that market looked like. And I think at the time, it was frankly too early for yeah. such things. You know, It was an early stage in the market, and it was an early stage for any type of technology like this. Certainly no one had heard of what a powdered cannabinoid would even be or why a customer would want that. Hmm. And if that's the case, then it's pretty hard to sell that person a technology to make such products. Mm -hmm. And uh, after realizing that, I think that was a natural evolution for us to go and make our own products to largely prove that there was a market for them. And now, uh, coincidentally, I think we're coming back around that full circle and will inevitably license the method, the oleo process, to people that hold those recreational marijuana licenses. Yeah, that's what I'm really interested for in yeah. you know the growth of your company. Because uh, I, I love what you guys stand for. Like, we love your products. Um, like, little tangent side story of my dog ended up having mm. some sort of back pain and we don't really know what it was ended up having to take him to the the er and some sort of spinal injury we assume and he's fine now but one of the things uh that we gave him was a bunch of we take him to CBD. a holistic vet and he was like if you have cbd at home give it to him and we were like are oh, you sure wonderful. like it's it's a it's people stuff and he's like doesn't matter do it go for it so we're like all right he weighs the same amount yeah. as a person yeah i think so, it's about the weight i mean he's yeah a, he's it definitely a boy. Helps. so at 125 pounds it just made sense and i was like oh we have tons of this oleo product and i have had some of what you gave us that was just the pure distillate and so i didn't right. have to worry about you know giving him sugar or what other you know because there's a little bit of caffeine in the teas and exactly. there's a little bit of sugar in the the tea and the coconut water um but yeah so the the ability to market it, I think, definitely makes sense on a, a grander scheme because it's like uh, THC, you can't sell in a grocery store. There are tons of shops, but it's like you have to go to a shop to see that. Exactly. And so it, I think that definitely makes sense on that end. Um, and that's cool now that you're seeing on how can we kind of source CBD to the next level. And that's kind of where my curiosity is peaked because I mentioned it before, like CBD is just one of the cannabinoids in marijuana and so thc right. is another one and um 
one of the ones that I've found super interesting is CBN, mm. which is uh, some people call it like the sleepier aspect to it. And apparently I was listening to a podcast today that uh, when THC breaks down, whether it's with a little bit of light or oxygen or just time, THC naturally turns into CBN. So they were like, if you have like a really old strain that's just been kind of sitting there for a while, it'll probably make you more sleepy and lazy than before. But the weed doesn't necessarily like go bad particularly Hmm. Um, it definitely just changes state yeah over time maybe and maybe some of it degrades but i think you're absolutely right that it does shift in that way and i see a bunch of potential in you know probably will take years to reach this point but i definitely think in much the same way that people are now isolating cbd and making cbd only products and thc only products and some are starting to maybe delve into cbn and cbg we will see many many more of that type of iteration and they will probably ultimately be marketed as a specific purpose because we'll have more research by that time to also show that cbn is more of a a sleep aid or THCV is a diet suppressant. You know, I think that's been one that's talked about pretty greatly mm-hmm. in the past couple of years. Very rare, but potentially able to do the opposite of the munchies that we all <laughs> associate with THC and imagine the potential of that. So I would say you're on to something there and it certainly would cost a, a large amount to really purify and refine that that oil, but there could be a lot of potential there. Yeah, the research is the big thing right now, Mm -hmm. is that there's very, very little research because things are just now becoming legal. And so that once once we start getting that research in, I think there's a lot more ability to sort out what is what. But people are like just now figuring out that CBD does what it does. And then there's one thing between the science understanding it and the public understanding it. Um, so I definitely, I definitely like where it's going. Did you have something, Nella? Yeah. Of your current Oleo products, do you have something that you would say is your front runner that's most popular? And then do you have something that's your personal favorite? Definitely the most popular by far is the original mix, which is that sort of unflavored zero calorie CBD additive. Mm-hmm. It just goes into whatever beverage or directly into your food or, you know, your mouth if you want to just eat it. And I would say, I think people identify that with that because they can make it their own. Mm-hmm. You know, they like whatever drink they like, and they particularly enjoy the fact that there's you know no sugar there and no other ingredients. And I think that's a great product for for all those reasons. I personally like the coconut water a lot. I am a coconut water person, and so I think that's uh, that's a strong one for me because of the hydration and the benefits of it. But I feel like a lot of folks have a love-hate relationship with coconuts. So, uh, <laughs> really? It's, oh, I think wow. definitely. It's de- it's it's definitely it. the product that people really enjoy. Or with any coconut water, they find that it yeah. tastes weird. It's an off yeah. taste for them. And they don't enjoy that sort of semi-sweet watered-down juice, uh, which it I find very refreshing. Really yummy margaritas. There's also, Boom, I love that. There's also a weird saltiness to it that comes, uh, I think, yes. from the electrolytes that mm-hmm. to a lot of Definitely. people... Definitely has a bunch weird. of sodium in it. Yeah. That's it. Yeah, we did some some margaritas with it 
at the at our at Molly's, remember? Oh the yeah, party? yeah, yeah. People were digging that for sure. <laughs> I think it's the delicious. the the mixed drinks, the smoothies. smoothies we did a yeah. bunch of blended drinks that are you know it was it was uh, it was back during the summer, but we did you know mango, watermelon, coconut, and a bunch of different varieties of that, and they were sort of summery cocktails. So super good. I just need to keep it by our blender because I forget I'm all like half asleep in the morning when I'm making a smoothie. I just need to keep keep it right next to it to remember to put it in. Yeah, I think that's the that's. I the, tend to think of it more when we're making like a cocktail for some reason, but it I should mean, go. It could in be either. I mean, at the cocktail you're given that extra relaxation, maybe you know, yeah. cure, curing any any remaining stress from your day, and then maybe pre-fighting your hangover. Even <laughs> I don't know. So to I guess what that extent be, that could be true. But if you've got <laughs> a random person who you know knows nothing about the marijuana world and has heard of this CBD thing, they're like, oh, you know. I kind of understand it, but not really. Like, how would you explain what mm. CBD is and kind of what it does to that average layperson? That's a good question. I think it's one where I'll try to be pretty honest about what our limitations are as not only the industry, but just in general, the research you know field in, in cannabis. Uh, certainly, it's important probably to tell people that cannabinoids, which you were talking about earlier, are the oils that are found in the hemp plant or the cannabis plant, whichever you prefer. I think, you know, in the terminology, marijuana is probably the way to distinguish the THC plant from cannabis or hemp, which is the the CBD plant. And it's really just the different levels of those cannabinoids that are found in each plant that define those terms. So certainly from a legal standpoint, any hemp or cannabis plant with less than 0.3% THC is that industrial hemp. And that's what the government allows for cultivation. And as of December, allows uh, you know the extraction of CBD from. And that's government-wide, super not exciting. just Gover- statewide. Government-wide now, thanks yeah. to the Farm Bill, 2008 Farm Bill, which yeah. is a huge move. But to your actual question, I think that what we know is that there's a lot of preliminary research on both humans and animals that suggests that CBD is an anti-inflammatory and that it is also a, a anti-stress, anti-anxiety chemical. And there is preliminary, even more preliminary evidence. It's worth noting that it also might help with various things from cancer to uh, you know ailments like arthritis and MS and things of, of that nature. Uh, the most and very clearly FDA-recognized usage is epilepsy. That's definitely what we've had now clinical trials on and clinical drugs exist for, which is the Epidiolex uh, product that GW Pharmaceuticals makes. That product has run through FDA trials and is definitely recognized by them and is, in fact, one of the weird intricacies of how this whole industry is being regulated. When you have a pharmaceutical drug, which is incredibly expensive and uh, is only proved for one purpose, sitting there using the exact same active ingredient as our product, as many other CBD products, one begins to wonder whether or not that product is able to sort of prevent these other products, legally speaking, from being in the market. Mm. And I think that was a big issue and will remain a big issue as the FDA sorts through this question of how you determine what is and isn't a dietary supplement and what is and isn't a drug. Um, Certainly, uh, we have many different definitions of that, and that's going to be a a hot-button topic, definitely. Even with the Farm Bill legalizing uh, CBD and hemp, there's still a long way to go before we have full dietary supplement status. 
and before the FDA puts their official stamp of generally recognized as safe or gross on CBD. And they have not done that yet because there has not been enough research, as you said. So long story short, I think that from anecdotal evidence and from the, the research that has been done, there's very you know, strong indication that CBD helps people who have joint inflammation and pain whether that comes from the fact that they're uh, you know, an elderly person and have for their whole life done physical activity and really worn out their joints. And so they get you know, a little bit sore when they go on a long walk or whether that's a person who's you know, aggressively running or cycling. Uh, either person may benefit from that. And certainly we have customers coming to us on a weekly basis telling us how much the product is helping them for that type of thing. And you know, I always thank them for their comments and I'm super glad to hear that. Uh, but again, I'm still here as the you know, honest person I try to be saying that there's a long way to go before we understand exactly why that does that in the human body and what the appropriate dosages are for a person of this type or what the exact correct usage is. Yeah, because from what I can understand, like you said, from the, the relatively minimal research that we do have is that we have like this endocrine system and you can think about, you know, dopamine or serotonin binding in your brain. And you have this little chemical that like latches onto its little docking station and that's how you get that high or euphoria or whatever you get, um, adrenaline, et cetera. And so apparently we have this endocrine system in our body that completely attaches to these cannabinoids. And so these cannabinoids, you could say, are much like dopamine or something different where our uh, I, I guess never before have has there really been a plant that feels so in tune that is grown with the human body that we have something inside of us where these specific oils attach to us like specific chemicals that we already create in our brain and that's what's really interesting for me about CBD and the various other compounds is that they do have these anti-inflammatory and you know anti-anxiety, uh, anti-epilepsy characteristics that come from a plant, and it's most people think of it as the we'll call it psychoactive uh, because people think of THC as like psychoactive. Well, psychoactive just means makes your brain work. Right. So I, I prefer like, intoxicating. Yeah, mm -hmm. exactly. That's a good one because certainly CBD, if it's reducing stress, is psychoactive. Mm -hmm. I think it's a big misnomer. Exactly. True. Yeah, because I, I want to alter my mind state in a positive way, mm -hmm. even if I don't want to get high, for example. Um, I, it's, it's a super interesting question because if you can just grow it in your backyard and, um, you know, when I was just home in Colorado for winter break, we ran into a number of old friends and, uh, some of them are now growing hemp flower, you know, and this is of course registered with the ag department in Colorado. And that's, uh, you know, I, I would think for our Valley in particular had not been the typical, uh, let's just say the typical form of cannabis that was cultivated. So uh, by hemp flower, what exactly do you mean? Uh, that industrial hemp with below 0.3% THC and, you know, got to, to check out some of that product and it's beautiful. It looks exactly like what you would find in the dispensary in Washington. But so you know, if you were to smoke it, it would not have any effect wow. that is so noticeable for, you know, intoxicating. So it's generally a misnomer. I remember I was always under the impression that like the male plant is the hemp and the female plant is the flowering THC producing plant. 
but it appears now that that's totally a misnomer that I think so. Yeah. And I, I, I think it's a weird question. We were having this conversation the other day. What is the best way to describe it? Because it is the same plant and you could use the word cultivar. Maybe, um, it's a different method of growing. Um, you know, strain would be another, you know, not correct, not quite correct term, uh, you know, chemically speaking or, or botanically speaking, it might be phenotype or chemotype. Uh, and that's a version of this same seed, uh, that's been crossbred and produced in such a way that it now produces much more of the CBD than of the THC. And, you know, because we just have to have an arbitrary line that we draw, that's how the government works. They have decided that 0.3% THC is the magical number. And then at that point, it's now industrial hemp. And uh, you no longer should call it marijuana. So thanks to the Farm Bill, we have that (laughs) definition uh, now in the legal code, which is better than no definition. For listeners who might not know, can you elaborate what uses you could have for uh, industrial hemp? Hmm. That's a good, that's a, a... definitely even broader question probably i think biggest ones are fiber for things like clothing there's definitely an increased movement now to make plastic out of it bioplastics that are very sustainable and you can even you know make various types of fuel from it so um those would kind of be maybe some of the top ones and you know if i had to say one more it maybe be concrete you can definitely do a, a good bit with hempcrete uh, and, and some of the some of the events that I've visited in the last couple of years to go to conventions or expos, you meet a lot of people that have involved themselves in other peripheral areas of the industry that are not at all related to CBD, but are definitely related to hemp. And it has been wild learning about some of those those things that people are up to with it. Yeah, even like hemp protein. Oh, that's, certainly that's as an edible too. product. Definitely yeah. food products. I mean, I think if you, those ones I named plus the food products are probably some of the biggest and, you know, last I had seen, it certainly is still bigger. Uh, the, the, you know, share of the world market for products made out of hemp is still much bigger with respect to things that are not CBD. There's much more product and, and business being done with the simply byproducts of hemp, really, and its use as a, um, a building block, if you will. Nice. Yeah, it's it's really interesting when you mention kind of different species or genus or uh, strains, because it appears that what happened with marijuana is by being in the underground and being this illicit activity that people started creating these new strains and crossbreeding things and it became this crazy experimentation and some of the experimentation was you know people were how do i get as much thc as possible and then other people were like well i want it to be as crystally as possible i want more terpenes like i want more smell out of it or i want less smell out of it because the more it smells the more i could get caught by the police because they can smell it and so you've had all this just like crossbreeding of things with no like real scientific research background. It was just all playing with it. And now we kind of have this wild variety of, you know, hemp versus the flower that's high in THC. And we don't really have the research yet to kind of show what exactly does what and what's possible. But knowing the ability that we do have to, crossbreed certain things and really make things 
kind of how we want them. I think that's one of the really cool things about legalization now is that we have the ability to have trained scientists and botanists to be like, all right, how can I create, you know, the perfect strain in some way or another for a specific person? Definitely. I mean, I think we will see an explosion of interest in this, this, series of compounds, you know, if you will, and generally they all come from this plant. And I can only hope that there's just a ton of research that is done on it over the next 10 to 20 years. I don't think it will be quick, certainly not as quick as we would hopefully like, but I think that uh, it's only just beginning now that we've started to see an opening up. One would also think though that it really won't begin hitting full steam until we reach maybe a national legalization point for the recreational market. Uh, Because unless you're still just only talking about CBD, there's a significant block there for any of those other THC, THX, you know, compounds, Mm -hmm. if you will. And so um, that's going to be another big step for us. But I see that sooner rather than later, you know, maybe in the next five years. Yeah, I hear a lot of people talking recently about CBD being more potent when it is attached to other cannabinoids. It's a hot topic. I'm interested in talking about that. Let's go. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So the question, I mean, do you, do you, does the research seem to guide you in that same idea? I think there's definitely initial research that when you combine different cannabinoids together, you get something that may in a sense be more potent or more effective, you know, hence the air quotes. And I think the real question is what you're treating and what you define as uh, effective and what acceptable criteria you use. So I think to unpack that a little bit more, the big one that occurs to me is from a research standpoint, if you're trying to make medical uh, drugs, you know, let's talk about it, not in the frame of a dietary supplement. If you're tr- really trying to run clinical trials and understand what's going to be helping, you know, children with certain diseases or adults that are needing this specific treatment, it would be unheard of for us to be studying a cocktail of drugs at one time. Right. You, know, you couldn't even imagine a scenario where that would be a, f- a feasible study. I don't just give someone a handful of pills and then wonder <laughs> what the impact of one was, that's even if point. I have achieved something great. And that's just not, as most would agree, you know, quality science. So that's a whole question on its own, which is problematic if you're talking about what is colloquially known as a full spectrum or a broad spectrum oil. Uh, That would be kind of the term most people use to mean multiple cannabinoids that come naturally from a plant rather than having them extracted and purified individually, as is the case with, you know, CBD. And so that's one big point of it. The other one is that if you're talking about including THC in that blend, then I also think for a lot of people that's an immediate no-go. Yeah, certainly. So is it reasonable to say that just because there is a slightly better uh, sedative effect or a pain reliever effect associated with a cannabis oil that has THC in it, uh, that it is inherently better? And I would say probably not because many people would never be able to utilize that product. And uh, that's where there's much debate, certainly right now, about whether with respect to CBD, there is uh, more benefit in a CBD isolate or in that full spectrum. And for, you know, I can certainly say for us and our products, 
whether or not there's more in the full spectrum is just a moot point because people won't take the risk of having THC. And having been doing this long enough now to see the common first question of, will this get me high? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm scared about that. And that's a very fair question. So that's a guaranteed no for us in terms of how to make our products. Mm-hmm. And so, yes, if I take a given dose of, of, of CBD and that's 50 milligrams and I compare it to a dose of 50 milligrams CBD plus 5 milligrams THC, will one or the other have different sleep inducement effects or different pain relief effects? And is definitely the answer is potentially that THC one will do more of both of those. But for a big portion of the country, that's just never going to be something that they're into. Mm-hmm. So in that sense, I'm, you know, I'm not necessarily swayed that it is really the right way to go. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. And from a business standpoint, I would assume that the hemp is much more inexpensive hmm. than getting flour. That's a really that's a really interesting one. I think sort of counterintuitively, maybe no. Um, hmm. In many in many cases, I think actually the opposite is true. Certainly, there's no Quantity. perfect information. So in yeah. this whole industry, there specifically hemp, but when you compare it maybe to recreational cannabis markets, not necessarily true. You know, you might get a um, a, uh, a gram of your CBD oil that you purchase from Colorado and it's made from industrial hemp and that could run you anywhere between 7 and $15 depending wholly on the processor you're getting it from, the quality, the volume. And you might go to Washington State and buy uh, some cannabis oil that's heavy in THC and that might cost you between 8 and $15. So Oddly, there's not much difference there. Hmm. And the biggest factor is just whether or not people are, uh, I'd say this is unfortunate, but whether or not people are able to sort of artificially raise their prices um, yeah. because there's that imperfect information, people are you know, rampantly taking advantage of that in this industry. And so when you guys are getting, when you guys are distilling out you know, the CBD directly, are you guys using you're using just specifically the hemp that is under the 0.03 percent um and then does that technology i guess just in the grand scheme of things like i understand that's not where your company is headed right now like the cbd solo product is the bread and butter and fully makes sense um i think uh science benefits everyone when research and development is put into other things, even if that's not necessarily your bread and butter. So from that standpoint, um, is the process similar to distilling out the CBD from the, um, the hemp plant similar to distilling out, you know, CBX or THC, which is a CB, but, um, out of actual flour. Very similar. And I would note that we specialize in particularly the secondary stage. So when we purchase the raw ingredient, we're getting it from a, f- a farm you know, who's probably working with a lab. And we have a couple trusted sources that we work with. They are from Colorado. It's kind of just the best place right now from a legal standpoint and also a, a quality standpoint. But what you get is someone who's basically taken the hemp flour and they've taken large quantities of it and then they put it through a series of purifying processes and so first you would get a really crude oil you know something dark brown and it looks just kind of molassesy and it has a lot of 
plant material in there and then and they're taking that and then they're further purifying I'm, it i'm gonna pull you a step ones. back though yeah so that process so i have a friend who uh so i had my medical card in mm -hmm. california in 2008 um for my ulcerative colitis, which is a chronic inflammatory issue. Inflammation yeah. is my arch nemesis. And so that's part of why I like the CBD um, and why I'm pushing the boundaries because I'm always really interested in learning more. Um, and when I had my card, I got some oil and oil wasn't used back then. It was like there was some keef and so, which is just like the straight THC crystals that are just like people that are like, trimmers will like slide the keef off their scissors and then sell that directly and it's a premium product that you would sprinkle on the top to get you know excess thc so i brought this little thing of it home because washington state was like i could fly out of california and washington was in the process and really didn't give a shit so it's like i could fly home with stuff and but i couldn't fly out of seattle yet back to california and so i brought home a bunch of stuff and just gave it to a friend then he was like, this oil stuff is really crazy and figured out how to do it on his own. And now he's worked for several different companies and he works for a full, um, I don't, I don't remember what the the name is or the, the numbering. I always go to 501 C three. I'm like, no, that's a nonprofit. Uh, <laughs> but one of the, like one of the medical, um, labs i guess and sure. so he does that for a living and he blows out oils and he's gone through all these different processes from blowing out with butane uh to doing just like straight press techniques and so in general what does because you said oleo is kind of the step two and so you mm -hmm. are, you're already getting it when it's like a dark brown we would get it at you know probably the most purified stage it could be so you cool you take in you use a different process depending on who you are there's other solvents um you know besides some of these more toxic ones that can be used so certainly we're getting our oil that's uh, ethanol extracted cool. so it's just a you know grain alcohol basically you could even use water depending on the process it's just a matter largely of temperature and pressure okay. and that's super simplified but i think yeah. that's you know descriptive <laughs> enough for this purpose and certainly we don't specialize in that because i as you you know mentioned your friend that's not my profession. I'm not an extract artist yeah. and neither is Derek, who's our you know science mind that developed this process that we have. We simply partner with someone who's very good at making those, those products and they've taken their crude oil, they've purified it into a distillate, which would be kind of the next tier above that, which is that golden brown, pure, clear looking product. That probably has you know 80 to 90% CBD by weight. And okay. whereas that crude oil has 50 to 60% by weight, uh, and it probably, the crude one has other cannabinoids in it, has mm. your CBN, your CBG, definitely a large amount of THC as well. But as you use more uh, specific and selective solvents, or you use uh, specific combinations of temperature and pressure that cause boiling or condensation of different chemicals from that oil, you're able to uh, do, do increasingly more selective extractions. So as that process continues, you can choose to take it from distillate to what is known as CBD isolate. And that same product can be made out of CBG or CBN. And that isolate really is, if it's from a 
correctly certified and capable lab, that's a pharmaceutical ingredient. You know, that's uh, the same grade ultimately as products that are being made into, you know, these these epilepsy drugs. Mm-hmm. Um, they simply come from that industrial hemp that's grown in this fashion. So we purchased that CBD isolate. It's basically 99.5 plus percent CBD. There's just very small amount of oil in there that's not CBD. And then that product is what we use in our process to turn into the microencapsulated powder. Nice. So you could basically, all you would have to do is purchase some CBN, yep. we'll say, specific isolate. And then you just do your magical wizard oleo process there you and go. out comes this powder. Yeah, I think it could be definitely a thing we would do down the road. And it's a matter of making our binder specific to that that oil. There's certain polarity of the molecules that we use in our binder and the settings on our machine, which dries it in a favorable way. So it would just be a matter of doing testing. But we've done enough with the CBD now. We're pretty confident it would work with other blends as well. Because you would want it to be like that protein that you can mix with a fork instead of that protein that you have to sit and blend for 15 minutes in there order to go. get it to actually combine with the water. It's a good real world example right yeah. there. Yeah, definitely. Nice. There's nothing worse than protein clumps. <laughs> Gross. So I have a question about the powder itself. Obviously, it's ingestible and water soluble in that way. But if I wanted to sprinkle some in my bath, would that be... <laughs> Something I could use as like an Epsom salt bath, but use CBD. And then also, let's say I have some period cramps and I want to mix some with some coconut oil or lotion. Could I use that powder as topical as well as a soak? That's a good that's a good idea, I think, for the bath, definitely. Cool. And that would be, you know, absorbing to whatever small extent it is able through your skin. Mm-hmm. You know, we've definitely sold some of the wholesale powder to people that are making bath bombs. So that, that is exactly kind of what a, I'm envisioning. Yeah, yeah, it's kind of a... A glass a, of wine, yes. some music, and a bath bomb. Beautiful sense. It's, yeah. I think, definitely a, a valid use. Cool. And as long as the product that we're making is in water, then it's going to have the ability to absorb. Cool. So I think that would be you know a good segue into the second question, which is coconut base, for example probably not as suitable mm-hmm. because essentially anytime you're you know you, you need to make a product that's water soluble and it has a, a water base and it's a drink or it's a you know a gel that you put on your mm-hmm. skin but that is non-oil then that would be a good usage but gotcha. any other time it just simply isn't going to homogenize in the way you want so a gel or a lotion that has a water ingredient to it yes, okay because there are those for yeah. people for example with really sensitive skin and they don't want oil content just based on their particular skin those would be examples of a product that we could put ours in and actually there are some guys they're down in california their product is called pain remedy cbd pain remedy and they make a water gel that has our product in it nice for athletes to rub on their hands yeah so essentially it stems back to that idea of oleo being uh like a specific product that other people can then use in their own products to yeah. advance kind of the the crazy ways in which we can use this. Because it's, it's really funny walking into a store now and seeing this inundation of patches and creams and oils and sprays and like... Well, and for the 
Pinterest slash homemaker, uh, I don't know, yogi person in me, I'm always kind of joking, like, just put some coconut oil on it and you'll be fine. And so that's where my brain's going to, like, just sprinkle some CBD and all, we're, we're all good. There you go. <laughs> and I, I would say I encourage people to use you know, CBD in whatever way works for them. So yeah. I think the nice thing about us focusing on a specific type of products, which is to say drinks, you know, whether those are, you know, powdered or otherwise, that's helpful because we don't even really need to worry about you know, saying that you shouldn't also take a topical. Mm -hmm. uh, I encourage people to take their CBD oil and it's mixed with coconut and they rub it on their elbow if their elbow is in pain. And then they should also, you know, drink an oleo coconut water. And that'll mm -hmm. be the internal effect to a company. So I like that aspect of it. And I think we try to be pretty clear on what our technology is and isn't suited for so that we're not seen as you know sort of overselling what we have we want to focus on that one niche and do that well it gives you a direction definitely it gives you a direction you know what you are you know what you want and you know what you're working towards yeah and so i guess that'll stem into my question of the fact that you are now the ceo of that company and you were not the ceo from the beginning you said you started for free as i recall i started for free and that <laughs> you know transitioned quickly i was initially making financial models and helping with, I think, some of the very early stage business planning. First job that I had when I was there and, you know, still just three people at that time was business development, you know, so going around and seeing, is there a market for this thing? And if I meet enough people and talk to them about it, what can we learn about whether or not our product is uh, viable? And so that lasted a year or so. And at that point, you know, moved into the COO role to do more operational stuff as we started to hire people, work with the sales team that we were then building. And, you know, at that point, we probably had four employees, three to four besides ourselves. And then earlier this year, uh, I should say 2018, since we are now <laughs> in the new year, uh, yeah, a number of things led to, I think, refocusing our business on the priorities of those products you know, of the branding and marketing that are associated with a consumer packaged goods brand. And therefore, that was a skill set that, you know, I possessed and was was really the work that I had already been doing for some time to bring our products to market. So that was a, a basis for that reorganization that we did in August, really, was when it occurred. And so I'll get back to that question that I asked about at the beginning of uh, your safe word, <laughs> how old are you then? <laughs> so I'm 29. That's, yeah. a, nice. that's a fair question. When's your birthday? October 7th. So what? Just, just last year. What's your sign? Libra. Oh, Libra. Okay. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Which I would say. <laughs> I'm a Libra fan, so that makes sense. Yeah. Uh, you're, a, you're a fan. Yes. Okay. Fan. Are you one as well, or are no, you just like I'm Libras? Aquarius. Are you I just Libra? Have... Is that no, why? I'm oh, Aquarius he, too. We're both Aquarius. There's just certain signs that we just both tend to gravitate towards and really connect with very easily, and the other ones, and and that's why, yeah. Anyway, it's, it's kind of like CBD. Or, or <laughs> it's kind of like any sort of you know CBX. Like there's a whole host of research that you can't exactly nail down. You don't exactly know, but you just tend to gravitate towards towards some things, and some things just make sense. Yeah. There you go. And as as a sign like whatever the research or science is behind all of that chaos it, there it's one of those things that seems to have some sort of real world experience that tends to make sense when you look back on the data of the type of people you seem to relate to and get along with better than other 
types and that's like to say you know oh i don't like cbn because it makes me sleepy there's some types of cbn that you know may be better for you when it's mixed with other quantities like this person with that person yeah sure i like that (laughs) i like i like that analogy it's a bit of a stretch but i dig it (laughs) i feel like that's kind of just like my analogy for a lot of things in life it's really easy to be like it's really easy to um i guess we'll get into bigger topic thinking levels it's like uh, to think that science is an end all be all that like what we figure out in science is like, that's what it is. But science is really hypothesis and you're coming up with an idea and you're trying to prove that as best you can. But even once you've proved it, it's still kind of along the lines of a theory in many ways. Um, and so whether or not you have the full 100% picture of this is what this is, this has is how it interacts with the world. Um, there's a lot of stuff outside of that that we don't quite understand he's just saying i like libras (laughs) (laughs) we're talking about science here i mean isn't astrology science let's go i feel like i wonder which is it is it is it is it we're ascribing meaning of ourselves into Mm -hmm. the system or is it really the other way around which is that i am the way i am because i was born in october that's the real question to me, and I don't know. I don't which pretend I think, to know. Which I think is the same with uh, mm-hmm. CBD. <laughs> like, I mean, yeah. think about it. Touché. I mean, a lot of it, you can have the science behind it that says it does this, 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 and this, but then you also have anecdotal evidence of people saying, well, it does this for me, and this does this for me. I mean, the whole idea that people are convinced that sativas, and, that sativas are this heady, my brain mm. is thinking a bunch, and that sativas make me couch locked and stony. Like, that's not real. That's a good point. Totally not real. I, <laughs> and I, and I everyone is under more. this idea that like, oh, I like sativa better. It's like, well, no, you actually don't. It's, you like certain terpenes better. Mm-hmm. Exactly. That's what you like. Definitely. And, and so I think there definitely is this idea in um, astrology that you could say it's a mix of the two. Some of it is you are the way you are. And some of it is you're drawn to certain other people. And some of it is probably written in the stars. <laughs> you may act this way <laughs> because you read something that mm-hmm. you put meaning into it when there was no meaning to mm-hmm. it. But That's, just... That seems very fair. And it could even go as far even whether or not the stars are involved in it and certainly the season you were born in. Yeah. Imagine that effect on your life based on how old you are at a given time of year. Every time that comes around i feel like i'm trying to remember the name of the book but it's the guy that wrote the concept of sort of ten thousand hours of practice leading malcolm Malcolm gladwell Gladwell. yes and so you know he has a bit in there about hockey players in canada and how much it affects when you're born and so that maybe is a, a like a real world super logical not uh, you know, holistic view of what it could mean to be born in a certain month or yeah. be a certain sign. Yeah. yeah. I like that maybe comparison. So did you <laughs> ever expect to be a CEO at 29? That was my next question. I, I don't think so, yeah. ultimately. And I feel like I try to have a sort of frame of reference that reminds me that the business has a long way to go, ultimately, before mm-hmm. I would consider that to be a resounding success. Mm-hmm. I certainly feel that it's always a journey that is continually succeeding, you know, in the sense of learning, in the sense of supporting the, you know, now eight employees that we have working for us. That's pretty cool that those people are making a livelihood from our business and from selling these products that are helping people. So no doubt that's a success right now. But, uh, you know, maybe because of just the, uh, the nerves that are associated with running a small business or maybe because of just the perspective I have that's too close to it, 
I have a hard time thinking of it as some grand achievement. So I think I'm, I'm happy with where I am. You know, I'm, I'm proud of that to the extent that, you know, um, it was, you know, due to the hard work that I put in and, uh, try to leave it at that. Yeah. Do you I, have goals that you aspire to within this business or beyond? Certainly, you know, top goal with this business and, you know, just maybe second only to, you know, my, my relationship and my personal life is that I definitely want to continue to grow the business and make it what could only be a resounding success. You know, I think we're just beginning right now to get the type of traction that we've sought for the last year or so. Uh, the business is still pretty young, and certainly the products we're making are super young, having only really come out in their current form factor last July. So we're headed into the summer you know, now, as I see it, and there's definitely a seasonality on something like a drink. So I'm seeing big time. It's coming you know, this, this hot season, yes. and I think we have potentially between two and four years of working really hard on this project to get to a place where we might reach our, you know, our end goal. And that in, in this business is, you know, what you might call a liquidity event or an exit or, a, you know, um, uh, uh, some form of that. Merger and acquisition. That, yeah, some form of that, <laughs> that achievement that is going to lead to either a you know, much larger distribution of the products because we're able to merge or um, sell our business to a large conglomerate or we're able to find a, a home where we can have a very stable uh, sales record and, you know, we can just do that, you know, on an ongoing basis. Uh, and I think it depends on exactly kind of how the next few years go, but very important to me to achieve that sort of benchmark because that would be both both a personal a personal achievement, you know, as, as the person that's running the business and also a big milestone for our employees and our investors and certainly that's you know the ever-present sort of benchmark of success when you're running a startup is is there you know really financial benefit at the end of this hard-working really ramen eating struggle <laughs> that has been going on for x years to get to the point where you finally made it you know, and that could vary for the person, but really I think that's financial stability and that's what a lot of people are seeking in their lives and that would just be the same thing that any startup is seeking. They're seeking to know that they're not living paycheck to paycheck and going to, you know, run out of money. So that's the dream and I think, you know, we will we'll be there in, in a shorter time um, than a longer time, hopefully. Now, do you have any formal schooling that is kind of crafted this entrepreneurial mindset to get you to be a CEO by 29? I'm definitely super, super thankful for the the college experience that I had at Whitman, which was okay. uh, where I went to school. Yes. You know, I can't say that it's it was any type of, um, how should I put this? Any type of business training at all, realistically. <laughs> right? Yeah. It was about the farthest that you could get from that in terms of uh, being hands-on and logic-driven, but no work with technical tools or systems or administrational you know, software. And maybe that's the reason that I found that it was so valuable, frankly. I don't know that you know, you need to practice how to use Excel and PowerPoint <laughs> in You're not college. going to a trade school. Right. Yeah. And so 
uh, you know, as backwards as that seemed while I was going there, which is to say I was very frustrated that if I was trying to get an internship and they were insisting that I had experience doing business, you know, calculations or, you know, accounting or specific, you know, um, methods of tracking an income statement or a balance sheet. And I'd never even touched those things because this isn't a business school. That was very frustrating. Um, but now having had the chance to do that in my work life and also relying on the critical thinking aspect that came from college, that definitely is the real benefit. So what um, was your degree or your study? Economics. Okay. okay. Economics. I have a minor in Spanish as well, nice. which was, you know, worth it. I studied abroad in Spain. That was nice. great. I shamefully am not as strong with the Spanish as I used to be. So I need to go do some traveling someday to polish that one. Well, when you start to bring the product oh, naturally. to, to Spain. that area, <laughs> it will come in handy. European in offices in yeah. Spain, maybe. Yeah, yeah. I like that idea. Um, that will happen. We'll, we'll see. I, I feel like, yeah, the, the key is being able to connect, um, connect strange and disparate ideas in a way that definitely has, uh, you know, sense to it and is not just random, um, but be able to have that interdisciplinary skill. And definitely get that at a liberal arts school. Again, maybe too much. And Where it's, is Whitman? It's in Walla Walla. But you grew up in Colorado. So how did you end up at Whitman? I think it just came on a tour, really, oh. of the, <laughs> the Northwest. My mother grew up in Seattle, so she had family here and, and still does. So I have a number of aunts and uncles, actually, that live in Seattle, which is nice. And that led me to come up here on the quintessential college tour. We did it, and <laughs> my dad and I went on a road trip, essentially, stayed overnight at a number of places, Seattle University, George Fox, Reed down in uh, Oregon, you know, mm -hmm. more. And then I think we went to, you know, Puget Sound and, wow. um, and Willamette. What city did you grow up in in Colorado? Uh, it's too too small by far to be called a city, oh. but it's called Paonia. Oh. And it's a small town of about 2,000 people. So you get, you know, up into the foothills and it's there. It's in the, the mountain Near valley. What? what would you say? The closest recognizable city is Aspen. Oh, and oh okay. Somewhere, some, exactly, on the western slope. Okay. So somewhere between Aspen and Grand Junction, which is on the far western Didn't we edge. go to Grand Junction? No. We, it's on our list. Yeah, though. Grand Junction's kind of near Colorado. Moab. So that yeah. could be, you know, that other... Haven. I, I don't particularly recommend Grand Junction. It's an okay place. We um, did Estes Park, Estes Park, Boulder, right. yes. and Denver. Yeah, and I loved it. And it makes places. sense, though, that you make. I, I feel like Seattle or Washington and Colorado. Why? Because of the weed thing? No, <laughs> not because of the weed thing. I mean, as born and raised and still living Seattleites, when we went to Colorado, we're like, oh, could totally move here so Colorado I feel like, and New Zealand are the two places yeah. where like it's home but it's a different place uh, I can't wait to travel there that's a good one on my list epic. highly recommended yeah it's uh. epic and and I would say they just feel they feel like like he said it feels similar to home but a little bit different so it's enticing but it but but a lot of similarities is the culture and the people and the gorgeous nature and so yeah I definitely see that. I went went back for a week with uh with Mackie my fiance which is another big development Whoa. when did that life. happen congrats thank you the late fall so okay. I think um 
sometime in November. Yeah. He's like, I got that job promotion. I'm going to get well, that ring <laughs> on her finger. He also went the smart way, which I'm down to talk about too, is he has officially deleted his Facebook. Okay, okay. I want to I want to step Wait, in and say what? I haven't officially deleted it. It <laughs> doesn't ever to, like, go away. By there. the way, that even oh. if you tried, it doesn't go it, away. Uh, that's an interesting question. I mean, they have the permanently delete thing, which oh, is what they? I plan on doing, mm. but I haven't done it yet. So uh. it's coming soon. What I'll just, this is a total tangent, but I, what I've been frustrated by is the inability to easily download your tagged photos. You know, mm. and I hate that we're even spending time talking about Facebook because <laughs> it just is what it is. It's okay. okay. <laughs> it's okay. No, it's not a problem because it, it is a big goal of mine. But I did the thing where you get to compile all your data and then it says get ready to download and you get all that. And then you don't get any of those other photos. And mm. if you read, this is, I got kind of deep into it and I read back a number of years and there's blog posts from like 2012 talking about how to get these photos. They used to have an option to give you those photos. And Obviously, they took it away because they said, yep. screw you. You're not leaving our platform. I'm going to make mm -hmm. you stay here. And I just hate that. It's mm -hmm. so frustrating. So then I spent the day, you know, looking at ways to do that and, you know, no good leads. Well, yeah. before you go, make sure to give us your actual digits because you already did. Oh, okay. I did. That's why okay, I brought good. that up. I reached out to this guy and I said, you know, it's coming soon. And I did that to a lot of people. It was a whole process and frankly, just a, a satisfying process for no other reason than just to do it. Yeah. Even if I don't ultimately need those people's contact information, there's so many people in your X hundreds, thousands of mm -hmm. Facebook friends that you never talk to because Facebook is filtering their actual content out of your life. You're like, I don't know what you're doing because I don't actually see you anymore. Yeah. And those people had, in many cases, really positive reactions. You know, thank you for reaching out. Thank you for writing a note. I uh, look forward to staying in touch. And so that was worth it on its own. Yeah, nice. I recommend that if you're not leaving Facebook, just take like Do two hours anyway. and go message yeah. 100 <laughs> random people and they'll all be super glad to hear from you. Yeah, yeah. we had we had an experience with the whole photos thing. Uh, so I'm sure you've whole, heard about the whole uh, foundation mm -hmm. debacle. Nightclub. Oh, yes. Uh, and so I had four to five years of tagged photos of Ooh. hundreds of events that I attended, shows that I had played, photos that I used as promotional pictures that, you know, I downloaded some of them, so I have some stuff there, but like all of these like flyer photos of all the shows I've played over time and everything's gone. Dang. Unless I have specifically downloaded it or uploaded it on my own page, it's 100% gone. All of their albums gone interesting they just totally axed the whole thing yep huh. and so it's like that's the crazy thing too is like if if that person leaves that content disappears yes and so it's like if you leave then your tagged stuff True. that you've tagged other people leaves and it's like but like ah. you said because they don't want you to leave they don't that want is, you to leave their platform yeah that makes me a little sad to think about that i'm doing that to other people <laughs> so well that's the thing is you're not doing much i mean that's I, the difference i mean kind of and i'm frustrated that i'm gonna lose it because i love being able to scroll through i took the opportunity as part of it to go look you know mm -hmm. you don't really go back and it is a cool concept to have this whole album mm -hmm. that you can see your life developing well in. so how much content creation did you have how many photos of your own are you uploading for other people to see huh that have other people in them i mean it's certainly less than i have yeah and so other, it's like for foundation people. it was like that was literally what their content True. was is you came to our club here's photos of you whereas like the only thing that you would be quote-unquote taking from someone on facebook would be if you uploaded a photograph that you took on your phone or uploaded on a camera then tag them on if you delete your facebook then yes that disappears 
years. But again, that's going to be such a small, minor percentage of photos and you have access to them. Someone could always ask you for them. Whereas like, I can't reach out to the photographer that used to take those photos. Like he doesn't even do that anymore and he doesn't have that content. That's not going to be on a hard drive stored away somewhere. Um, but yeah, the reason I brought up Facebook is because like we're so on that same vein, and I think so many other people are really starting to get there. Right. But for the same reasons you just said, it's this like fear, this little like hook that they have in you of like, don't delete it because you might yeah. lose all this cool stuff. Yep, and you might not find out about the coolest events. Like that's the big one mm-hmm. for me. And part of what is I think enabling me to do it is that I'm busy running the business mm-hmm. and I'm enjoying the relatively simple life of spending time with roommates and um, you know significant other, and that's enjoyable. Mm-hmm. So I'm going Way out more less, you know, and I in that sense I'm living a wholesome life or whatever you want to call it. <laughs> and so I don't have this FOMO to as great of a degree. Certainly everyone does and I do of like, oh I'm missing that show or this show. Mm-hmm. You know, I used to go out easily three days a week. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, for as long uh, longer than I can even believe that I did. <laughs> um, you know, in terms of what was sustainable. Uh-huh. And so uh, that's quite a shift for me. And I just trust that Certainly some friends will let me know about shows and I'll find out some other way, you know. There's got to be a better solution for Facebook events. And it's funny tangent that that was really what the app that I mentioned earlier Mm. was created for. Mm. It was a short-term event planning app that was really limited to the next week of your life. And you could invite specific friends that were your connections on this app to come do something with you. And it was designed to help you hang out in real life instead of just spam people with these invites that, that no one listens to. I week out. <laughs> yes, yes. And in fact, we originally did it for only a day out. That wow. was incredibly impractical and ultimately <laughs> yeah. not a big enough audience. We extended the thing to five and seven days. But it was, you know, 10 minutes, 30 minutes, two hours, five hours, eight hours, three days, that kind of thing. Hmm. And, you know, fun project. But it wasn't really money in it. That was the thing. You know, mm-hmm. if you're talking about this ecosystem, if Facebook events was just Facebook events, they wouldn't make money on that without right. the ads. So I think what we found was, you know, there was us and immediately 15 other people doing this. There was like a lot of apps that popped up overnight that were trying to do this sort of cool young people event planning thing. You don't make money doing that. So mm-hmm. I am still of the mind that there really needs to be a way to organize your life with your friends and and connect you with could them send an evite you could send <laughs> <laughs> remember those oh i definitely do uh you could send a text you could use your boring old gmail or outlook calendar mm-hmm. and those things just feel sort of equally disappointing in mm-hmm. some of the ways that mm-hmm. facebook does um you kind of choose which disappointment you want you yeah. know those things just don't <laughs> sell all of your data to oh it's a so large much better on that level <laughs> that's true that's the tough thing we don't even have to delve into that because that's a whole different world yeah but that's the shitty part about facebook <laughs> oh definitely so i love that you're trying to create a sense of balance in that way what other things have you implemented in your life to create mm. balance because he just chugs cbd well this, <laughs> the startup life the startup life the ceo life like that's busy you you are yes. busy so to have time with your love and with your friends or just some time for you like is there any things that you are trying to implement into your life to hmm. i think definitely has been a couple big ones and they started somewhat last summer and then you know trickled in and the biggest one is no smoking cannabis 
I haven't smoked weed since June, like the end of June. And you know, for me as someone who did quite a bit of that as both a stress reliever and as a recreational you know, enjoyment, huge. Certainly one of the most pivotal life changes that I've made in my entire life. Like, you know, I was going to say the last few years, but really, you know, the whole life. And, you know, and then in the last couple months, stopped drinking as well, which I don't think is sort of as permanent of a, of a change, but also aids in that same thing. And particularly with the cannabis, you know, it just leads to a lot more mental clarity and a lot of, you know, a lot of positivity that wasn't mm-hmm. there before. Yeah. I feel you on that. Definitely. I feel I, you on that. People, people get, and it's, particularly relevant because we're talking about cannabis we're Mm. talking about this whole industry and in many ways part of the reason i struggle with that decision was is this hypocritical is this a weird thing to be doing when i'm in depth with this technology and i'm around these people all the time and there is a significant amount of peer pressure involved in that particularly if you're doing business in the recreational space where you might not look like the cool dude if you're not down to hit that blunt for sure. You know, after the business meeting, which is super <laughs> stupid. Like, can we just talk about that for a minute? But that's the culture. Uh-huh. And I, I totally don't judge people who want to partake in in marijuana at all, but it really does not have a place in doing serious business. And uh, I think that would probably rankle some some folks because they say, well, this isn't about doing business. And it's about, you know, the people and it's about the the flower and the plant. And that's totally a part of it. But for a whole other section of the market, and in my mind, the people that are really serious about their dreams and achieving goals, it's definitely not that. Mm-hmm. Uh, you've got to focus hard, and you don't focus that hard when you when you smoke weed. It really hurts your ability to care about things, um, and that was why I was overusing it personally. Mm-hmm. Was to to escape some of those stresses that were just ever present, you know, with the startup or with uh, whatever you know might be going on at home and. That becomes a cycle that is ultimately just as addictive as any other drug. Um, We give ourselves this weird, I think, reassurance now that cannabis is recreationally legal, that surely it's not as addictive or harmful as alcohol or whatever the big scary ones are that we'd like to name. But it is potentially just as habit forming, um, whether or not that's a psychological addiction or a physical one. Now, do you feel like CBD is like nicotine gum for smokers <laughs> trying to quit? It's a it's a really interesting concept, and you know, on some level, maybe I don't think it has nearly an, enough effect from you know in terms of changing your baseline state to do that. I think you still find when you, you know, like chew the nicotine gum or whatever, you get that same buzz. It's just sort of weaning The you. intoxicant thing, exactly, like you said. Exactly, that intoxicant thing. It does help with the stress relief, but mainly it was just pushing through the first few weeks and really the first few days of just aggressive stress. Certainly that's the hump that has to be, you know, dealt with. At this point, you know, I do consume a lot of CBD. And when I was in Colorado, I actually consumed some of that hemp flour which was kind of weird because I was like, oh, is this going to get me high? Am I going <laughs> to smoke this? And I didn't get high at all. And it was wonderful. I just smoked it and got a little bit clear-headed. It was essentially you know, no intoxicating experience. And you got the flavor of it, which is really what I want anyway. I like the terpenes. I like the 
the uh, you know, oral fixation, if you will, of consuming the product. Mm-hmm. That was always the most enjoyable thing for me personally about it. And so to have that without the, the THC was a good time. Yeah, that's where people are talking about the the cultivation, like we were saying, the crossbreeding mm. is being able to, uh, I guess what a lot of people were saying was the CBD plant is uh, more on the grassy end. Like it's it's it doesn't quite have the same flavor profile. It would be what a lot of um, weed connoisseurs would say is like it's pretty low grade hmm. um, from what I've heard of a lot of the CBD. That's not from personal experience. It's just what I've heard. Fair enough. Um, and what some people are saying they're really interested in is that ability to then cultivate those CBD strains that have essentially zero THC to how can we add different flavor profiles with the terpenes to make this just as delicious and just as beautiful, but just not have that same high content. Yeah, that's definitely a really, really relevant thing. When I went back to Paonia for the break, you know, I met up with, again, a couple of these people that um, one guy in particular who is definitely now large-scale farming hemp and you know i think if i remember the phrase he used correctly it was that you know we're cultivating thc free cannabis Uh, and that distinction to him was one of looking you know in the jar and it looks exactly like what you would get off the top shelf of those stores and you smell it and smells exactly the same super crystally it has little fur on it it's what you would expect that to be and super counterintuitively you smoke that and nothing happens (laughs) so i think we may already be there yeah but to be clear that is and i i don't think i have enough of a a finger on the pulse of the entire hemp industry in colorado but that's definitely a standout because of the fact that they're in this you know banana belt valley that has incredibly fertile soil and in the case of these folks are using only natural blend fertilizers made of fish meal and you know nitrogenated you know uh, manure and these kind of things and no chemicals at all right they've worked very hard on that so i don't think that would be true of all hemp and a lot of it that i've seen is much more uh much more like a agricultural product. You can clearly see that it has very large leaves and the stalks are huge and it hasn't been cultivated um, specifically for those flowers. So I think there are both. And like you said, that's a niche market. It's like you guys doing CBD to the broader market versus doing CBD with THC because it narrows your market. And so there's such a niche market right then. I mean, not that many people are in your boat of like, well, I really want to smoke weed, but I don't want to get high. (laughs) It's a pretty small percentage of people. Yeah. Well, not necessarily because similar to what you were I just don't know. They're out there, but they're secret maybe. Well, my daughter's 19 and she's been smoking for a few years now and she's definitely getting to a phase in her life where she's realizing she wants to be more productive and get things done, but she really loves rolling a joint. She loves smoking. She loves that whole ritual. And so she's gotten into going to different, I can never say the word, Apothecaries. 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 (laughs) And buying just different types of herbs, uh, medicinal herbs to smoke. And the last time I was 
down there hanging out with her um she had me try a couple things and they were delicious yeah when we were hanging out she like rolled well that one actually she actually rolled a joint joint she rolled a joint with weed in it but then added a bunch of other little things to it lavender and so i've had these smoking herbs and kind of a a blend of them perhaps yeah yeah so sometimes she'll do that but a lot of times if she wants to smoke or maybe there's that habitual addiction kind of popping up or the therapeutic emotional tie that she has she gives herself like okay today needs to be more productive i can't smoke weed but i'm gonna smoke these other herbs and that'll kind of be a sort of you know her placebo i guess we'll call it yeah and and i i think there's a lot of people who like that ritualistic aspect of it and i don't know it's soothing even if it's not intoxicating Absolutely. Yeah. I feel like a, uh, a, a big thing to me is if you consider the, you know, the usage that one makes of cannabis, it really, for me, changed at some point, which I can't really pinpoint from something that was more of a, a treat or a pleasure that was, uh, you know, rare to something that happened really often. And certainly at that point, I got a lot less pleasure out of it in general, yet in my head I was just getting the same amount and then looking back on that is just not worth it. So I definitely want to go back to that place where, you know, there's the ability to, you know, maybe smoke these nice little herbs you're talking about Mm -hmm. or maybe, you know, some of this really quality cultivated hemp flower, assuming it's again cultivated with the right amount of THC. to enjoy that, that, you know, um, delicious taste or the simply act of doing it, you mm-hmm. know, not that, you know, inhaling hydrocarbons is ever the best <laughs> for your body, but I think there are, you know, those, those sort of ritualistic enjoyments that are totally reasonable. Mm-hmm. I, I enjoy that. Definitely had some, you know, experiences when I was in the process of trying to, you know, kind of wean myself off and decide if I was going to quit and and take a break from the cannabis and it involved really trying to smoke more quote unquote cbd weed and you know that is a thing you can definitely buy in a lot Mm -hmm. of dispensaries and was just so disappointed at how little variety there was and how completely false a lot of the test results were Mm. uh you just go there and you're like what is the lowest thc content you have (laughs) and they might have one and it probably isn't that low but if you're lucky they might say they have a low one and it's like oh this one is one percent or like 7.7 percent i'm like oh that's probably not going to get me high and then you spark up that joint and it just gets you absolutely blazed yeah we bought a that's a cartridge fallacy for my pen that was touted as like barely any THC, mostly right. CBD. And we're like, okay, cool. And then we're like, whoa. <laughs> whoa. Unexpected. Yeah, that was yeah. a surprise. So mine, my story is a little crazy. I'm going to have a guy on the podcast uh, who works for Leafly. Oh, um, awesome. And I wanna, I'm want to, i going to talk to him soon. But one of the things I want to talk to him about is uh, that I have what appears to be like marijuana-induced asthma, that hmm. whatever those... Uh, smoked carbons are when they hit my lungs I get some sort of asthma attack um, that like happens a few days later but long story it's kind of chaos I've tried to figure it out but um, lots of emergency room hospitalization there's only only been one there's only been one Mm. (laughs) lots versus Uh, one yeah somewhere in between there's been a hospitalization and it's definitely not ideal Um, 
but yeah, like I have like a rescue inhaler. Like I've never had asthma, but like I definitely have this. But anyway, uh, rather than delving into that idea more, just back to back when I had my medical card in California, that started happening. I was smoking mm. super regularly um, all the way through school. I went to business school at Santa Clara and like um, my brain functions really, really well when I'm stoned. Like things are almost easier for me. Um, and so it was really hard for me to stop smoking, but I couldn't breathe. And so, uh, one of the things that people were baffled by, but were just like, well, we know CBD. And again, this is back in like 2009, um, 2010. So people are still like trying to figure it out, but they're like, oh yeah, this stuff with super high CBD, like try smoking this and maybe that'll kill your problems. Cause some people reported having asthma and CBD smoking, you know, did wonders for them. Um, and so, yeah, going into like Harborside, which was like hmm. the place to go in Oakland that was actually official and you walk in and they have tons of different strains. Yeah. Finding anything CBD was impossible and you would find stuff that would be like very low percentage of CBD and like kind of low THC and they'd be like, well, yeah, that's all we got. And now it's definitely, it's definitely growing. And I think that market is evolving. I think because people are seeing that. CBD does have some cool effects. Um, yeah. I think it's growing because people like like that experience. What were you going to say? Uh, just that it was crazy the last really big episode that he had and we mm. had to go in and get put on oxygen and all that. It was less, sounded less asthmatic to me and more like walking pneumonia. Mm. I remember laying next to him at night being like, oh my God, I was so scared. He was just not breathing and there was like liquid in his lungs. Sort and- of raspy. It was like, yeah, it was like liquid. Yeah, it was very That's strange. Unpleasant. That that same friend that uh, distills the oils that we talked about, he, uh, I went over to his place right before leaving on a trip with her and smoked a uh, very nice dab of uh, some straight rosin, and so essentially just taking like a a hair straightener and like using a hair straightener to like squeeze the weed down in between. Um, paper what is that like paper, wax, paper. wax paper and so it basically just like it would just be that oil and it was just like straight <laughs> flour warmed up in that way and so it was like this new thing that he was doing and it's like super pure and went on smoked it out of some super nice bong and was just like so stoned for a long time and then yeah like three days later that's what's weird is there's like a three-day delay with him he doesn't necessarily he might be a little wheezy that night but nothing major it's more like three days later it's like oh shit (laughs) that's a kind of strange thing it's delayed like that Mm -hmm. i feel like we just don't understand enough about what many of the things we put mm-hmm. in our body are doing. Mm-hmm. You know, certainly cannabis is one of them, but just think about all these other things that we like to do, whether you call them biohacking or not. And I figure that's a little bit dangerous. Mm-hmm. You know, prime example is the the THC oil, the cannabis oil. When we started changing it from the flower to doing dabs, then I think there really <coughs> was a step up in the intensity that yeah, was maybe yeah. not warranted there. <laughs> but naturally, humans are just how we are. We want to take it to that next level. Mm-hmm. Like, let's go. And you know, then you know, more recently, the conversion to CBD and, and THC crystals mean that people are smoking pure THC, and that is a, a level that we never need to go to. You know, like <laughs> no. No one needs that much of that drug. The diamonds. Yeah, no, that's definitely a thing. And, you know, that reaches, 
the, yeah. the level of being able to, you know, could one overdose on THC? Probably if you're smoking uh, THC diamonds. And um, we don't need that. That's the no. thing. There's already fake articles floating around. I remember when when Washington first legalized, like there was not even any stores yet, but one of my Facebook friends posted some bullshit article that she of course thought was true about all the people who'd already died in Colorado. And I was like, this is not <laughs> oh, a no. real article. Yes. So yeah, that's my concern is when when, when or if that does happen, because people have pushed this level of extremity, then, then we've just got all these haters that are gonna come out of the woodwork and be like, see, I told you so. Kind of damages everybody. Yeah. Definitely, definitely, definitely true. And that one kid that ruins the party. Yes. <laughs> I, I just kind of feel like as much as you gotta promote change and research, you gotta have that caution. And that's what worries me about the cannabis in- industry in particular is, and it's that sort of peer pressure mentality mm-hmm. of unless you're all about nothing but acceptance and openness and doing more of those things, then you're not with us. Mm-hmm. You know, And that's just not true. You gotta be advocating for caution when you're exploring things like this and certainly if it is a truly a recreational drug which this is uh, then that's very much the case i think we often conflate the fact that cannabis is a a flower it's a plant it was traditionally a medicine with the fact that it's now a recreational drug and use that as somehow proof that it is safer than other recreational drugs. And I definitely think it is safer, to be clear, um, than some of these harder drugs, but it's still a drug. It's you know, that's why it's issues. sold in a yeah. controlled environment and yeah. has a bunch of taxes and we, we keep really careful track of it. You know, it's it's that it's a, a really potent thing. And so that needs a certain amount of respect, I think. I think that's super important. Um, I was got into a dialogue with my philosophy professor I on Facebook that. recently. Yeah. Uh, oh, the good old Facebook yeah. dialogue, yeah, right. quote unquote. Well, it was, yeah. it was a good, it, it was, was a good, good. Oh, good. Okay. So he's, he's better always, than most of us. Yeah. <laughs> right. He's always been, uh, from, from my opinion, anti-marijuana and I would like go to his classes super stoned and like feel like I learned so much more and like connected to the topic on such a deeper level. And so, um, he has told me philosophy. I don't know if you said that. Part. Oh, sorry. Yeah, so philosophy. I was a philosophy professor. And so also business ethics, though. Oh, okay. And so I'm, I ended up minoring in philosophy because of him. So mm-hmm. I think I took like eight classes from him over my college career. Like he's my favorite teacher of all time I've ever had. And we like have a rapport outside of just school. Um, but he's always been what I would deem as anti-marijuana. And now he's more at a line from what it seems that he's like, I don't want it illegal anymore like i think it's fine to be legal but he's like but it's it's immoral for us to not talk about the negative aspects it's really easy to have all of this um because we've gone from reefer madness of marijuana is horrible and it will kill you uh you will jump out a window and you uh, this the the government propaganda about it ruined an industry for financial gain for a separate industry and it's just like the the chaos behind that is just so bullshit and then to add in the fact that this plant has been with us for millennia and we literally have an endocrine system that binds to this plant specifically like marijuana and humans are inextricably connected like we just are and then um so we went from this mass illegal thing to now it's becoming legal and 
we have all these medicinal properties like CBD and cancer treatment and epilepsy treatment, like some serious things with seizure medication that people are like, no, this changes lives. And it's really easy to take all of that positive and tout all the positive and just throw away all the negative and be like, well, I don't care about the psychosis that it may cause in individuals because it healed this person. Um, and so I think right. as more and more science comes out, it's really easy to just say, this is a good thing. And then when more science comes out being like, eh, we should be careful. And that's where um, a, a lot of younger people have always kind of smoked marijuana. Like I ask most people when they started and they're like 15 or 16. That's kind of the general consensus. Um, and the research is showing that that can have some harmful effects on the human brain. Yeah, that's starting early, not good, definitely. I, I think there's emerging evidence of that. I would pause it, and you know, I'd be curious what you guys think about this. You mentioned the Facebook dialogues and, in general, the, the climate of sort of, uh, yeah, shall we say just debate in public sphere. There's not really that much room for nuance in mm -hmm. any kind of public debate. You know, whether that's on Facebook or any kind of politics or even with a group of friends, you know, at a party and you're trying to present an idea that is maybe a little bit uh, something that they agree with, but ultimately has aspects of a thing they really don't agree with, you'll get shot down. You'll just get immediately shot down for being one or the other. And I think that's just kind of how it works, sadly, unless you have a really calm and very, you know, uh, what's the word I'd be looking for? Academic, I guess, you know, environment, like a classroom mm -hmm. to sit and you have to hear these ideas and you have to entertain <laughs> all perspectives. If you don't have that, you're either with us or you're against us. And, you know, that's the example of you're either a cannabis activist and you support the cause or you're with the man and you yeah. support big pharma. And it's like, how can that be the two extremes <laughs> that we have to be on here? Like, clearly we can believe that hemp and marijuana are wonderful and mm -hmm. that they help a lot of people and that they are drugs and that they may also cause addiction and damage to people's health. That's just well, how that's, it is. I, that's why I'm a fan of discussions versus <laughs> heated debates or arguments. Yes, and and it, we joke about it because sometimes he'll say, like, I'll argue this. And I'm like, can you just not use that word when mm. we're conversing? Like, just the word argument to me has this negative tone to it. And it tends to come with louder voices where I personally will take and hear and learn much more from you if you're calm if you're helping to educate versus trying to loudly cram something down my throat i literally just shut off and i think that's a lot of the population right and so and so this like more more sterile classroom environment where we can have a discussion versus a heated facebook debate where you can't really Mm, you're just not accountable for what you're saying necessarily. Yeah, I, I just kind of opt out a lot of those conversations. I might stalk them. Like I definitely saw that conversation. <laughs> I was like, oh, what are they talking about? But I don't, I don't tend to join in very often. Yeah, it's a healthy, I think. The yeah. calm demeanor, I think, is super important. It is something that I really struggle at and that is mm, really tough as to, well. to get that nuance, especially on a Facebook conversation. But I think the the semantic thing on what you call it, that's always been a struggle for me because she, you know, is very, I don't want to say argument or debate. It's just a discussion. But to get back to the academic thing you talked about, mm. the the basis of an academic discussion is an argument. You literally present your argument and the other person argues back whatever their side is. And there allows 
this nuance and this dialogue and you to change minds and you to change opinions as you move. Um, but it definitely, I guess, can seem harsh when you use the word argument or debate, even though it's like when, when you come from a scientific, not scientific, but like an academic schooling background where like that was how you were taught, it's tough to then pull back. And so I think that seems to be some of it too is uh, different levels of learning. And mm. so like how you learned. And so depending what university you go to or whether you went to an Ivy League school or just like uh, a university or if you went to a college or a community college or a trade school, like you learn different ways of communicating. And I think it's sometimes difficult to almost like communicate cross those borders because the way I learned to communicate differs from maybe someone else. Definitely. I've gotten in. A lot of, I, I don't think trouble would be the right word, but I just feel like I've handled Hot water. situations poorly because of the fact that I'm much that de- debative type person. Mm-hmm. And if you're not careful, I've learned that you're not, if you're not careful to set up the expectations of the discussion with someone yes. such that it's agreed that it's a debate, for the sake of the debate, you're going to have an argument. And I had done debate at Whitman and I love that maybe that's the Libra you know in me Um, (laughs) but there is this this deep pleasure in you know discussing the merits of ideas and definitely you need to have uh, what would you know in the debate sense be a conflict right it doesn't Mm -hmm. have to be a negative word but there has to be um, an opposing force that you're trying to convince one person of the logical merit of this if you have that agreement that this is a dispassionate sort of non-personal discussion that can be super fruitful and very love uh, I, that I think idea. pleasurable because yeah. that's just like never happens college when yeah. I took debate in college it stays in the classroom yes I don't and you're like I'm here to argue but life. we're friends and exactly. I'm here to argue this idea and I won't take it personally it partly also helps because the ideas you're discussing and debating are often <laughs> far flung uh-huh. you're like the merits of this moon base are really just far going to outweigh your space elevator you know, it <laughs> has to be this way and you're obs- or, insane to think otherwise or they're brought to you by an outside source yes and so better. that's the tough thing is that we nowadays attach ourselves so strongly to ideas and that's where you said you're either with us or against us it's because we feel this tribalism we feel this attachment to um if I want to be a part of that group, I have to agree with what those people say. And even though that's not going through your brain, <clears throat> the same thing like we mentioned with us being technically attract or whatever attracted to Libras. Like, yeah. s- like that's not something I'm consciously deciding, but my brain is kind of like actively pursuing towards that side and i'm like well i want to get along with these people that i'm into that i think are cool that i like what they're about so then some of my ideals are going to start to morph toward that side because i want them to like me and i think in our to tie it back to social media we're in this world of where people are striving for some sort of acknowledgement and a like a comment a reaction gives you that little hit of dopamine mm. that that endocrine system that's like Unless here's you're some serotonin troll, and then you're looking for the opposite attention no but even that still gives you comment. that dopamine it's still that's that true. dopamine fix. right so it's like however it comes it's still that idea that you're like 
it's either I'm going to do this because I want to be like this person or I'm going to say this to that person because I don't want to be like that person. And I think that's one of the pitfalls of the social media community is this attempt to be tribal instead of creating your own ideas. And so that's the hard thing about for me when we get into discussions is like I went to school in order to create my own opinion on things. And like you mentioned, what did you get from school? Like that's one of the things I got most from my business degree was I guess, I guess more on the philosophy end, but the philosophy was a big part of the business um, because the business ethics, but like that to me is what I want is to create my own personal identity and how I uh, see myself is crafted by the communications that I have with other individuals because I am open to their ideas changing my opinion. But I think one of the issues is that I usually go into it trying to change someone else's mindset. And so I've already put up this expectation of like, I'm going to change you rather than being like open to ideas. And I think that's a big issue. I think that's where I've definitely gone wrong in the past. Yeah, that's such a hard thing to practice and learn. I think I'm very much still in that. So that's an interesting way to articulate it. I like that. Do you think not smoking marijuana has either A, (laughs) helped you to not engage or B, to be more clear-headed and more, um, I guess, rational or logical? It's part of the same thing. Maybe it's not even so much the rational thing as the empathetic thing, you know, the emotional thing, but definitely all forms of awareness being improved by that choice are then going to improve your ability to be more, I guess, broadly speaking, respectful maybe. And it's just about not engaging and leaving more space. I think it's always a a good habit to practice. And I think that's super important to practice with – the daily encounter but it's also the most important with the significant other ah yes indeed so has uh eliminating your marijuana intake helped your relationship in some ways or another or have you even really stopped to wonder on that i don't think it's even a question it's so undoubtedly a approved improved factor yeah i think maybe certainly the benefit is clear to the business and in my ability to uh, focus on longer term goals and you know do what it might otherwise be sort of frustratingly difficult projects or whatever the case is when it comes to procrastination or avoidance of things but with respect to the relationship at least in my case it was just night and day how much of an improvement that made even even with it now still being the case that you know occasionally she will partake, uh, that's not even a factor. It be, but before it was the case that we would definitely consume that together, and then there was a whole sort of negative ethos that was built up around it. Over, I think what both of us felt was probably overconsumption, and then as a result of that, there was a lot of what. Uh, what that Seven Habits of Highly Effective People book calls sort of confessing someone else's sins. That's what the terminology he uses to describe it. And it's where you have a problem ultimately with the way your partner does something and you're going to tell them how they need to change it. Mm -hmm. And so then instead of realizing that ultimately you need to change yourself before you ever consider giving someone else advice, thereby being a hypocrite, mm-hmm. um, you know, you just go ahead and do that. And you're like, I just really don't like it when you do that thing. And so 
I think I spent a lot of time and, you know, this is true for other things in life, but particularly with the cannabis, wanting to reduce my usage and first sort of blaming her for that and saying, well, you should reduce your usage. Mm -hmm. I would be able to if you did that. And then at some point, for a variety of reasons, it became far too much for me to tolerate any longer. And I was like, so why don't I just stop my usage? <laughs> and I did that. And then immediately my whole perspective on it was more positive. And then around that same time, I started reading that book, um, you know, and it just super resonated with me. And uh, I think that just timing was impeccable because then it was this clarity combined with this mindset of, more, you know, self-driven positive change and slow building of habits and unconditional love that leads towards other people potentially changing on their own, mm -hmm. but ultimately at their own behest. And that's so relevant to all recreational drugs and alcohol that at some points in your involvement as a human and the way that you're coexisting with this other human, there's amazing memories and all-nighters and these moments that it's easy to cling to maybe fantastic sex nights or whatever but that that also becomes an issue if it's always kind of hung up around a substance definitely and so being able to step out of that and create a brand new dynamic together without those things and then they become more of that special treat that you revisit either on your own or together and it doesn't necessarily have to be this sort of crutch and we call it a crutch because you think it's helping you through moments or making them better but in some ways they're maybe not so much of a help yeah. absolutely you know i think so that it's a it's a matter of so many pieces but mm -hmm. definitely had a big effect on that and i don't think that there was actually even very much that ultimately changed besides you know my mindset on it and particularly with that concept of more um it's almost just a contentment like i think it's definitely a contentment with the various ways that life is unique and that it's certainly not always perfect but that you have to recognize the things that you do enjoy more so than the things that you wish you could maybe change whether that's about yourself or about other people and if you're just positive and again love unconditionally then all of a sudden things seem way better do you practice yoga or meditation, mindfulness? It doesn't have to be the physical asana practice, but would you consider yourself on like a yogic mindset at all? Because this all sound very aligned with what we teach. I think that's definitely the the piece that I'm looking to sort of place next. Mm -hmm. You know, if you will, I definitely like to spend time pondering ideas or giving myself space to think. But as of yet, I've not for a variety of reasons, instituted, you know, regular meditation practice or regular yoga practice. In the fall, I did do uh, a period of time, about a month or so, where I was going to regular yoga classes, which was cool. I felt great, but I was doing them in the morning before work. It was like 6 a.m. classes. And then I just was not good at it once the, the, the rain hit. That mm -hmm. was the thing. And so I think, you know, I'm not big on the New Year's resolution concept in general but i do have a list of things that i want to institute as habits and 
they're all kind of aligned with the you know personal values that I want to live by. And definitely one of them is meditation for sure. Well, the beauty about meditation is once it really, once that part of the yoga tree enters your life and it doesn't have to be something that you do very long or even every day because it starts to permeate your being and you're doing it all the time. You're noticing as you're uh, chopping vegetables, you're in this meditative space. You're noticing as you're riding your bike, you're in this meditative space. So even just starting the practice really simply for five minutes and um, you'll start to notice that it stays with you throughout the day, hopefully is the goal. So that when you are having these heated discussions, like maybe you're able to have that calm moment or you had a stressful day at work and your past would have been to smoke a joint. Now you're able to just clear your head and find that contentment and find that ease. So, you know, when you use the word content in yoga, uh, one of the I guess pillars will say is santosha, which is contentment. And so it's like looking for that string, that thread of equanimity, regardless, regardless of challenge, regardless of stress, regardless of somebody's uh, Facebook comment on your post. Like it's this sense of calm. Um, and and that's what's cool is, is some people feel like, oh, I got to meditate every day and I have to sit down for 20 minutes. And I can't have any thoughts enter my mind. And I, I personally think that if you, that's not necessary. <laughs> I think that's yeah. reassuring. Yeah, you good, know? Because good. if you don't set too high of a bar, then it seems more achievable. I like that sort of active presence practice. That sounds yeah. like a good target. Well, what you'll notice is from what I can tell, just hanging out with you this little bit of time, you're already meditating at various times throughout your day. You just don't even know it yet. So you'll start that's to, a positive you'll, way to you'll think catch about it. <laughs> yourself and you'll go, where was I just now? And you were in sort of this flow state hmm. that you didn't even realize was happening. But it, I would say that that's a, that's, um, I would just want to encourage people that they don't have to have flexible hips and sit in lotus pose and close their eyes and <laughs> right. you know you look a certain way no. to do it. Yeah. I like I like that. It's more inclusive for sure. Good. Yeah, you cut off your hair. You can't be a yogi. <laughs> <laughs> no longer fit the mold. I started reading this uh, book that my dad gave me for Christmas, and it's uh, I think it's just the 10th anniversary edition. So it's been out a while, but it's that Eckhart Tolle, uh, a new earth mm-hmm. book. So good. And I'm only, I haven't read you that know, really? quarter of the way you into it. it. It's, it's, you know, I guess it's super high level. It might be that, you know, how we would achieve sort of world peace, you know, partly through presence practice. It seems like where he's going with it. And the, the big thing that it reminded me of when you were talking about thoughts and sort of the academic angle and the philosophy and then what you're talking about presence practice he kind of describes the he doesn't use the word evil but the root of all insanity he uses the word insanity is thought and we get too caught up yes. in thinking about what we're supposed to be doing or what other people think of us and then that is what builds this insanity of our culture that prevents us from being present mm-hmm. and therefore connecting with other people so it's so interconnected with all these concepts of you know social media and how that makes us interconnected but not and then work is stressing us and then our in relationships in yoga it's like an onion ah. so you've got this outer sheath or kosha, maya kosha, which is the animalistic side of you, the physical, like your basic needs. And then the, the next layer is, we'll call it breath, 
prana energy, like this like kind of innate energy that moves through you. Sometimes it's a little blocked. Sometimes it's like two all over the place, right? So finding that energy balance. And then that third layer is the mono or the mind. Uh, and that's like that intellect slash whatever we're going to call it. So intellect almost sounds like, oh, it's whether or not you're smart, but it's really like that thinking mind. And then when you can dive past that layer, you get into the um, wisdom. So that's when we're getting into the wise sheath. When you, when you let go of the physical stuff, you let go of the energetic stuff, you let go of the thinking mind and you just are, you're just there. It's just like this, like this instinct that you can't quite describe and you're not sure where it came from. And some people almost refer to it as this, um, I've lived another life or I've been here before, but they can't really rationalize it. It's just literally this intuitive self. And then that last in deep internal later is this bliss, right? It's your mm. blissful center. And so I, I, I love that you're reading all these types of books because it totally shows you're kind of like mm. when I met him, I'm like, you're already a yogi. Like I know you're here <laughs> on a group on, you've never done yoga, but you're already a yogi, whether you realize it or not. So you've referenced like three or four books already. Do you have a book that you would say is your go-to when you love someone or meet someone and you're like, I got to get them this book? Do you have huh. something that's like your top recommend? That's a really interesting thought. I don't feel like um, I can claim that I've read enough in the last year or so to to have that basis. If there was one, it's definitely that Seven Habits of Highly Effective People book. And a super you know recent, so maybe my thought will change. But uh, someone, a, a close friend gave that to me and partly that was at a time when I think she observed that I was struggling with, you know, maybe sort of running away from my feelings or emotions by using the cannabis. And this is a person who has themselves gone a sober route um, for a variety of you know reasons. And she gave me that. And I think that's definitely something that I hope to pass to other people because there's so many good books to read. You got to read each one. And you got to, you know, take a little more of it. Another big goal of mine for this year, less TV, more reading, mm -hmm. you know, and I think you get a little bit from each one, hopefully. But that one I really like because there's plenty of books that are advocating some sort of system of doing this. And if only that, then you'll accomplish very quickly <laughs> whatever it is you desire. And that is certainly not true. Mm -hmm. And so I find those books, if anything, kind of stressful because I've read some of them and then I'm like, damn, I need to switch up quickly. Like, you gotta like make, make moves. And this book is talking about definitely the opposite, which is that there is no such thing as a quick fix. It's all about building very slow habits mm -hmm. that are inherently very difficult to create. And that's your character you know, building aspect of your life. And that's very reassuring. So whether it's meditation and however you describe that language or it's reading books or building your business, then you're not as concerned with what the guy next to you is doing or how quickly you're becoming a yogi because it doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a long way from being truly that Zen about it. But certainly I read that book at a time where I needed that advice. And so right now that's my top pick. Well, and part of it is the process, right? It's not its not necessarily about the end result. Like this book says that if I do these seven things, I'll be a highly successful person. That's yes. not the fucking point. No, like the not. point is the process of your evolution. And, and you might have to start over several times and revisit step one over and over again. But that is your process. So I've got a book recommendation. Then. Let's hear it. Uh, it is 
one that I had to read for a philosophy class that also ends up is my philosophy professor is like one of his favorite books of all time. Uh, it's called The Power of Habit by Charles Duhigg. Um, I assume that's how you pronounce the last name, uh, but I can send it to you. But it's definitely just all about habits and mm. creating habits and how to make them stick and whatnot. And it's not a super long in-depth book it's kind of one of those you know shorter a little bit easier to read books while still having lots of meat and depth to it um but practical so application yeah, that's one i can recommend for you nice. i'll definitely add that one i figure you know, among all the other things that are good to be doing the presence in general practice helps me with this concept of every it's a very empowering concept because you feel like you have to more readily confront the fact that your choices have implications. Mm -hmm. Every choice has an implication and the <laughs> biggest ones are the most insignificant ones. It's like, do I pull out my phone and go on Reddit at this moment, <laughs> which I do all too often, or do I choose to pick up a book? Or, yeah. you know, go on a run or a walk. Or do so, nothing. Or do that nothing. Was just talking That's like with be bored. My son and him yesterday yeah. about that. Like the I, I'm re it's not even being bored. So you use the word bored. I've I don't never used the word bored I don't think that's a bad word. I, I have to, we can talk about okay. that in a second. Okay. But, 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 but tell me what you were saying. I think the way I described it was that to, rather than scratching the itch of what am I going to occupy myself with in this moment, just being in a moment. Hmm. And at that moment, when I was describing it, I happened to be sitting on the couch. So for me, uh, I could pull out my phone and I could look at Facebook or look at Reddit or I could listen to a podcast, which is definitely my go-to. Or being a mom, I could look around the house and stress out about the laundry and the dishes and all the things I need to go do. Or I could just sit here and hang out. I could watch the dog doing his weird stuff. I could listen to the conversations they have, kind of listening, but not really in it. And I could just enjoy the comfort of my couch and the warmth of the room and literally do nothing. And my brain never goes to this like, ugh, it's I'm bored. So <laughs> but it's not for an hour. It's not for an hour. Like maybe it's for five minutes. Maybe it's for 10 minutes, but just being and not having to, feeling like I have to do something in every moment. Absolutely. Feels nice. I think that we should do that more, you know? I think it also, as I was saying, shouldn't be the case that it's bad to mm -hmm. be doing nothing or be bored and however you define that. Because I think that that's almost a habit in and of itself that we could practice in our overly stimulated society. And there is definitely some evidence I was watching a, a video on YouTube about it the other day, and there was some evidence they were talking about that in order to unlock the true creativity, you must shut down yes. your mind. And that would be commonly referred to as boredom. You don't have anything to fill your mind, and boredom has a negative connotation. So I think I definitely agree with you there. But still, having that emptiness causes your mind to wander which mm -hmm. stimulates creativity and therefore comes up with ideas or, you know, peace in your inner being or whatever it is well, that you're seeking. It's literally meditating. That's what I was just going to say. It's literally what you're describing that. is meditating. So when <laughs> I'm meditating, I don't feel <laughs> yeah. bored. I'm yeah, not like, course, Ugh, I wish I had something to do. I'm allowing space for 
magic to happen. And if you don't allow that space within your relationship, within your career, within your life, you're, you're going to miss out on some really cool things. It's like you're trying to plan X, Y, and Z, or you're trying to anticipate the next thing. You have to leave some room for surprises. And I think that if we're constantly ingesting other people's ideas or uh, entertainment or whatever we're doing to pass the time, we're missing out on the creative or the passion or the ideas that we have there's just not room for it yeah to get back to your app idea Uh, of how do you schedule the next 24 hours yeah that's a big thing for me is is meditation feels like this like planning thing like i'm Ah. i'm planning my day for when can i meditate like when do i feel up to it like i need to allocate these 15 minutes for this time to meditate um and that that's the hard part about meditating for me, but definitely meditation is that how can you just turn your brain off for 15 minutes? And what, what I condone a lot for meditation is finding guided meditation. And that guided meditation doesn't have to be someone guiding you on walking along a stream or, you know, anything. It can just be literally like a reminder of a couple, every couple of minutes to like focus on your breath. And so it's like, I've found some good apps that I can, suggest to anyone you included um some are free some are paid if you've created apps then you understand sometimes it's good to pay for an app because you get a lot more out of it than a free app (laughs) and they're not necessarily selling all of your data um but uh that can definitely be helpful to cultivate that mind space where you're like all right how can i feel like i'm doing something without being bored Mm because i get bored and i have my entire life like i just I want to be doing something. I'm never bored when I'm meditating. Like if I have created the space, found the spot I'm going to sit, put in my headphones, done what I'm supposed to do, I feel good. I'm not bored. But if I'm just sitting on the couch for 10 minutes, just sitting there looking around, I'm bored. But you deal with anxiety. (laughs) So So I think because you put purpose behind what you're doing, the anxiety is quelled and then you're not feeling this like, oh, I should be Uh, doing something mm -hmm. because you are doing something. You chose to do it. You carved out the time. You set your intention and then you're going for it. So I think um, that's part of it is it's not that you're not bored and it's that you've created a space and an intention that the anxiety is able to be quieted. Uh, because of that because I I think when people just decide they're going to meditate without putting that thought or that planning into it then they get this battle thoughts anxiety I'm bored I don't want to just sit here how long have I been here right and so if you come into it with that intention of this is useful I see the benefits this is purposeful then then you're working towards that and it does feel like you're doing but again eventually you got to you got to stop planning it and just let it let it happen too. Yeah. It poses yeah. an interesting question if something is if it's really just about the intention of having the the presence, you know, occur at that time and that that's of course a habit that has to be built over mm-hmm. a long period, then it does seem very possible that you know one could just spend all of their free time in that space. Totally. You know, and I think that is the goal of without of, having of to that be practice. in the Himalayas wearing yes, a diaper exactly. and not <laughs> yes, and being we could in just... civilization. Which I, I early on in my practice, though, I thought that was 
the ultimate goal. Mm. And I was upset about the fact that I was this householder and I didn't get to go and be this high level yogi in the mountains. I thought that that was the goal. And now I'm realizing, uh, no, (laughs) I think for me, the goal is to be able to achieve that state whenever I need to. Right. Definitely was hearing, uh, my dad describe it over the holidays as for, for him being the pursuit of sitting in the space he was kind of trying to like gesture about it and sort of describe it to me which is really interesting conversation it was kind of you know he was pointing to this sort of place right behind Behind. his head yeah up behind he's like i'm looking to be there and i want to you know i want to be just outside of roger and i want to be looking down at him and he's there but i'm not thinking about what he's doing right now and that was such an interesting way to describe it i'd never thought about that perfect way to describe it the amount of times where i've outside of my physical shell uh-huh. because for me sitting in meditation is very uncomfortable my hips start to hurt my low back starts to hurt there's a lot of physical things that get in the way so if i can get to a state where i'm outside of those physical aspects and again i'm more observing it rather than in it that's cool i didn't yeah it's interesting to hear yeah. your dad's he your is dad's meditated a lot nice. so he actually met my mother through a meditation teacher that they were both following and he had for a good period of time lived in an ashram when he was younger that's why he uh, sounds like a yogi yes. that makes way he, more sense he met he was raised every by day. Them. you've he been meditated. raised by yogis that makes way more sense okay, okay so yeah he he and my mom to a certain degree but my dad definitely has meditated pretty much every day i think for the last you know 40 years of his life so i aspire to be as uh in many ways present as he is yeah mm-hmm. it makes for some pretty i think positive conversations that i can have with him and I, I definitely of course i'm sure there's many other reasons that people grow in their life as they get older but i've definitely felt like he's gotten increasingly zen the older he's gotten in the last like 10 years which That's is so nice is for you awesome. too because the amount of adult children will say that have really challenging relationships with their parents it's got to be really a blessing in some ways that you get to have a dad that's at that place because i'm sure your relationship is even better because of it i definitely feel fortunate for that certainly it's a you know very very positive family space generally They have a nice setup in Colorado. We were talking, you know, recently about the family compound kind of thing, you know, as well that we mentioned earlier. (laughs) Yeah. And it's like, how is that going to happen? Is that going to be here? We're talking about location. I think it's just a, you know, nice goal of knowing that at some point it's going to be both practical and, and, and positive to live with your parents. You know, they're going to need somebody to help take care of them. How we were meant to live. Definitely. There's nothing (laughs) weird and sort of shameful uh, either direction about living with your your parents. And they should be sort of respected and cared for, which is totally common in other societies and all of our historical societies, yes. as you were saying. And so and let's get back to And just because you're 18 doesn't mean you have to go off and figure all your shit out. Like, also, I'm also your parent. True. You get to stay with me as long as you need to. Yes. And then I hope that when the tables are turned that you're going to help take care of me as well. That's it. Yeah. I definitely think so. It, we have a weird... I was reading something the other day that made a, a comment and put it in perspective for me is that we have this weird perception now that old people are uh, definitely not – I'm hugely generating, generalizing, and I certainly don't believe this, but it's it's that they're not to be sort of respected and they're somehow just by definition out of touch. Mm-hmm. Like that's a really 
prevalent stereotype now, which is like, you're old and you don't know what the world is and you don't know how technology works and, uh, you know, where are you even belonging? And that is really sad. Uh, you know, and in some cases you can't really blame those folks. And it is kind of true. It's hard to keep up with the world. So yes, there may be a certain element of being out of touch, but that still doesn't mean that you shouldn't respect and sort of be looking to support that previous generation. Well, and maybe that's by choice. Maybe hmm. they've got to, I don't yeah, give any fuck thing. stage and they don't thing. want, well, they don't care to <laughs> learn that stuff. So I agree with everything you're saying, but what, uh, What'll really blow your mind is to sit and talk with my 15-year-old son. Yeah. Okay. Well, yeah. my son, but his yeah, new no, son. So, I got the, yeah. I got so the he's 14 years younger than me, which is not a very big difference. But you look at the way he interacts with the world and what his reality is based around meme culture and <laughs> what is... Yes. What is popular at the moment to say what kind of words it blows my mind. Mm -hmm. Like it, I, I feel old and I feel like he feels like I'm old. And I'm like, dude, we have 14 years apart versus exactly what you were saying. The difference of having, you know, a 20 year old thinking, oh, that 75 year old is just old and out of touch. They don't know how to use technology, et cetera. But like I was raised in technology just as much as he was. But like his technology is slightly different and he was started at a slightly different time. So I think that's just a, a human characteristic, some sort of trait that we have that always assuming that we know more at a younger age. Well, and, and then I think versa. once we get to that older standpoint, like you said, your dad's at where it's like you kind of zen out and you're like, oh, wait, I spent so much time focusing Hopefully. on this Hopefully. stress and chaos. Because <laughs> there's the crotchety ones that are like, those damn youths yes. that are ruining this country and they don't know how to work and they want everything handed to them. Like, I, I th think it goes a little bit both ways. Oh, definitely. Sure. There's plenty of a accusations yeah. flying. Yeah, that's an interesting point. I, and the world has just also changed a lot, to be totally fair. I definitely think we should always respect the, you know, the people that are either older or younger than us. Duh, that's a good rule. <laughs> but it does strike me that the role of the, the societal elders mm -hmm. has changed a lot. So if we're talking about truly tribal life or even not that long ago, those people were very real centers of knowledge and they were so respected. My sort of super layman's hypothesis is they were respected because they were the literal wisdom. Mm -hmm. There was no ability for me to go on my phone and look at Wikipedia True. and learn way more than them yeah. immediately. Or even written down information. Boom. And so because of that, that definitely makes sense that they would be super respected. Now, that doesn't mean that they're not still relevant and should be respected for a variety of other reasons, but that is an interesting point about just how it's changed mm -hmm. and they're not that source of information anymore in the center of the community. We also live in such a technological age that everything is advancing so rapidly yep. that our understanding of something changes weekly versus taking a thousand years for an idea to really take shape and um, change the whole world. You know, when, when one society does something, everyone knows about it immediately and they can then decide if they want to follow suit or argue against it and that the ability for things to just change so fast, I think kind of exacerbates that idea of you are different 
and it get, gets back to what we were talking about of this like tribalism of like you're either for it or against it and it's a tendency for older people to say things were better back in the day i don't know if you watch south park that whole yes. member member berries but like that idea of we're old we liked how things were we don't want things to change and then we're young your shit's not working how can we change it <laughs> so it's this constant battle between like it all comes down to our own self. I mean, at any point in time, we as individuals can choose to embrace the older, to embrace the younger, to create our community, to live cohesively together, to support one another. It, it absolutely comes to that moment of clarity of I can choose this to be however I want. Because I'm sure if you decided that and this is what your goal was your parents would or grandparents would feel so honored by that and want to be a part of it and vice versa you know when you guys have kids and they go into their 20s for them to not feel that pressure of i have to go out and have the car and the house and the career and the dog right now you can say hey like i'm gonna support you i'm not gonna let you just leech off me obviously but we're all in this together and let's support each other i like that that seems like a good thing to strive for do let's get the let's get the family compound up in pop culture what i wish the new trend 2019 i wish it wasn't so late at night you'll have to come back out on a day that the light is out and we'll take you on a little tour of our compound it's pretty sweet yeah and this room kind of uh destroys your sense of time yeah. in our little cave <laughs> yeah we've, we've been, been here it. for over two hours <laughs> wonderful easy to do in this and easy to do with someone like yourself so thank you for joining us on this conversation um thank yeah. you so much for having me can we promise to revisit it in a year or so because i have a huh. feeling that uh there'll be some changes between now and then and i'd like to <laughs> i'd like to touch base i'm sure we'll see you anyway but oh, of course i think you're awesome to have on here and a lot of people uh would love to hear more in the future so let's, let's do it again let's plan on doing another installment Sweet. there's so many other good things to talk about cool. so i'm down yeah and we'll post uh information in the description but is there anything you want people to know uh what your website is how to find you outside of Facebook, obviously. That's a fair, that's a, that's a fair idea. I'd say the easiest and, you know, kind of all encompassing thing is check out our website, you know, and it's oleolife.com and it's O-L-E-O life.com. Yeah. Perfect. Sweet. Sweet. All right, Skylar, thank you so much for joining us. Yeah. Until next time. Have a good night. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Gravity Lift podcast with Jordan and Antonella. If you like our show and want to find more, check out our website at gravitylift.space. And when you get a sec, please rate and review us on iTunes to help us spread these vibes far and wide.